movies late night movies with rob and zach this is a podcast about cinematic oddies where we discuss any media that is too bizarre abnormal or off kilter for contemporary audiences occasionally these projects gel most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp i'm zach and my name is ann and i'm walking i'm walking and my name is ann we are so close to the end of the fort year, Zach. We're, we're really getting through these last bits of it, and we are doing it this week with none other than the others. I was excited about saying none other than the others. <laughs> Rob's been saving that back for the entire fort year. He's like, there's going to come a point. This is back in January. He's just like, I'm going to be able to say it. It might take me a couple months, but yes. I will be excited. I was excited for that, and also ever since you selected the Fort Year, and I saw that um, the others was slated right near the end, I I was very excited to finally get to talk about the song Centipede by the band Wilson, which is actually the song that uh, introduced me to the band Wilson, which I really, really love. And in the song Centipede, like in the background, you know, for in like the chorus and I think the outro of the song, you just have uh, the, the lead singer singing the others, the others, the others, like over and over and over. So every time in the spreadsheet I would see the, look at the fort year and see that the others was coming up, I would get Centipede by Wilson stuck in my head. And I hope now everybody who listens to this episode when I put the clip in does as well. (laughs) Straight to the bottom Did you stay to Kill me hope, Robert. Kill me hope. I was also like, when I sat down to watch this last night, put it on, I was just like humming to myself, like, the others, the others. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that's, so that's what um, we, we did a lot in preparation for this episode. We had to watch the movie. I had to listen to that song. I had to read Turn of the Screw. We had to watch this weird TV show that Zach likes. For, 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 not for some reason. I think we know after doing real scary stories. So this episode's going to have everything. <laughs> It's a mishmash, folks. Like, welcome to the Fort Year. Yes. So I, I guess the, the way to kick it off is kind of right off the bat, something that I've been wondering for a while. This is one of the standouts, you, like I said, when you chose um, uh, the, the entirety of the Fort Year. This was one of the ones I was always like, why is this on the list? Is it because, you know, Zach really likes Nicole Kidman? Because, of course, who doesn't like Nicole Kidman? Does, I don't think you and I had ever talked about this movie before. So, Zach, why does this one get a spot on the Fort Year? And Moulin Rouge right. didn't, damn it. <laughs> the reason why this is on the fourth year, Rob, is that it was released in the summer of 2001, which is pretty much the answer as to why we've been talking about anything for the last, like, millennia of <laughs> recording this podcast. And two was that I remember seeing – getting this film from Blockbuster in 2001, and then I only remembered two things from it. Two things, like, as, as like, plot points. And I guess, spoiler alert – if you haven't seen this film, um, if you've seen The Sixth Sense, you've seen a better version of this film, in my opinion. But spoiler alert, these are the only two things I remember from this movie. One, the scary version of the daughter saying, oh, you're mad. I am your daughter. <laughs> sure. That, that, I remember that. What have you done with my daughter? Are you mad? 
And two is Nicole Kidman is dead. Okay. Those are the only two things I remembered about this movie, like as in plot points. But for some reason, for my birthday in 2001, I wanted this movie. I don't know why, because I've had this movie in my possession for a little under 19 years. I got it as a used VHS from Blockbuster. And I ne- if anyone remembers getting used movies from Blockbuster, they always would like cover like the thing at like the bottom like part like where the tape and the um the pa- cardboard sleeve would meet with like like a red sticker that said like previewed like with the price of it on there. Mm-hmm. And as long as I had it in my possession, I never broke that seal and ever watched it. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, <laughs> I never broke that seal. And then like like a little over a year ago, when I was going through the very like it was the precipice of the Zach emotional rut of 2020, I contacted fan of the show, Barry and said, Hey Barry, do you want any of my VHSs? And it is now in his possession along with the Titanic VHS. Ah. And also I didn't know this, my VHS copy of the score. Okay. <laughs> sure. So, so if there, anybody has more, like if anybody truly has a foothold on the Zach 2001 fort year, it's Barry. Like, like he might have been kind of like the first one tipped off about all this. Right on. So that is literally my entire context for the others. I saw it once in 2001 for some like inexplicable reason. I wanted to own the movie. <laughs> sure. And then I never watched it again. It's not like, oh, I had the VHS. Then like I got the DVD or the Blu-ray or watched it on TV at some point. No, I've only ever seen this movie once. I'm sorry, twice. Once when I initially watched it and then in preparation for this recording. That okay. is it. Okay. So I, I, I had a lot of – I've known about this movie for a very long time. I had never seen it before. In somewhere along the, the timeline of my life, I began to think that this movie was an adaptation of Henry James's novella The Turn of the Screw. Turns out that that's not exactly the case. <laughs> so, so I, I, like I said, I don't know why I thought that. I don't know if somebody told me that and it just stuck with me. Um, it's not as, as – quite an adaptation as it is more inspired by some elements of Turn of the Screw. The other thing is that I also thought this was the movie that earned Nicole Kidman her Oscar. But I was wrong on that as well, because it's the hours that she wins for, not the others. <laughs> so a lot of this movie I, I, I went into and I was like, well, oh God, I was wrong about quite a few things. <laughs> I like to imagine this like Rob's like a bar trivia and it's like the final like, oh God, like match point question yeah the thing is what is the what is the film that won nicole kidman and oscar and he like puts like slams his hand down the others like is that your final answer yes we're all we're sorry it's the hours and rob's like (laughs) same goddamn thing (laughs) rob's just like like screaming just like it's the same movie (laughs) little is it rob little is it so so um even though I, you know, I've no know that I'm not correct in thinking that or I was not correct in thinking that Turn of the Screw uh, was the the basis for this. Um, I read Turn of the Screw before watching this movie. I I might have not read it if I had watched the movie first and kind of realized that it wasn't because I've always known the basic gist of Turn of the Screw. Um, uh, Turn of the Screw has a has a very special place in uh, being in one of the literary references in Lost. So the uh, the Swan Station orientation tape is in the bookshelf behind the turn of the screw. And I'll put that clip in. Everybody's going to love it, Zach. And everybody knows what I'm talking about as well. <laughs> you don't have to take my word for it. Watch the film. What? The bookcase. 
Top shelf, behind ton of the screw. Projectors in the pantry. <laughs> I want to know, like, as he was saying that, I literally felt lost there for a second. It's almost <laughs> like I felt like a feeling of, like, when you like, it's a G, and you're, like, lifted out of your seat, and you're like, oh, boy. Like, I literally felt that, but mentally. <laughs> nice, nice. So I, I did read <laughs> Turn of the Screw, and um, it's... It's a ghost story, of course. Um, I, I think when we go through the others, I'll have some things to compare them uh, here and there. Uh, but I think the thing I just wanted to say about Turn of the Screw in general is I, I respect it. It has an important place in like literary history, but I didn't really care for it. And I think I didn't care for it so much because of the writing style. Incredibly long sentence structure that like never gets broken up, like so many commas, you know, and things like that. And uh, I like a little more terseness in, in the stuff that I read. But but I guess, Zach, I have to ask you, have you ever read The Turn of the Screw? <laughs> oh, all the time, Rob. It's a bi-yearly read for me. Oh, okay, okay, right on. <laughs> I, I think maybe the, the thing that, you know, gets um, – or the big thing that, that uh, attracted me or made me connect these two movies, in The Turn of the Screw, the main character who sees ghosts – um, and there's a lot of ambiguity about, you know, whether the ghosts are real ghosts, I guess, or if they're just her hallucinations. She calls the ghosts the others. And that's one of, like, the light connections between these two things. But, like I said, I'll make some more comparisons as we go through them. I guess that brings us to, Zach, something that you mentioned uh, before you, uh, you mentioned, you know, before we started recording. And you mentioned in your little context. Um, it's, it seems like you don't really care for this movie. Is that accurate? <sighs> Like this, like as I was watching this movie, I'm like, okay, like it begins. Like I said, like, I, like literally, my plot synopsis is for this film is that like, oh, castle like on the island of Jersey, which I didn't know was a thing, <laughs> and then I, and it's like, oh, it's a castle. These three weirdos show up. Nicole Kidman's weird. She's overly protective of her kids. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. Seance. Oh, everybody's dead. Movie ends. Oh yeah, and Christopher Eccleston, Eccleston shows up at some point. <laughs> yeah, for a little bit. And yeah. it's like okay, <laughs> and just like and like the movie ends, and I'm just like, like really? Like I, I for like easily seven eighths of this film's runtime, nothing happens. Nothing. It's just Nicole Kidman running around the house, like looking confused. And I'm like, and I look at like, oh, like I'm like, like no wonder why nobody talks about this film. It must have been like, crit like critically ravaged. It's like, no, this got, like, glowing reviews. Yes. And I'm like, oh, but it must have, like, died a dog's death at the box office. No, it made, like, $200 million <laughs> worldwide when that was, like, unheard of. Yes. And I'm just like – and I'm like, how? I'm like, is this just, like, like – like, you know what this reminded me of? And we'll definitely, like, like when it comes to Nicole Kidman, like, it, it reminded me of, like, like on a marketing promotional level of Tom Cruise Vanilla Sky. It's just – Putting someone's face on a poster could just drag it across, like, sure. like the gold line. Sure, that, I'm glad and that's you, what this was. I'm glad you mentioned that actually, because uh, this movie is directed, written, and scored by Alejandro Amanebar. If I'm not pronouncing that correctly, please come on the podcast and tell us how to pronounce your name. This is his his movie directly following Abre Los Ojos, which is the original version of Vanilla Sky. <laughs> exactly. And that's like, and that's what I mean. There, there's so much like tangential tissue between this and Vin, like, like what butterscotch horizons, yes, uh, chocolate vistas, yes, strawberry <laughs> horizons, something um, like that, <laughs> something like that. Um, but no, like this, because like, again, like when I think of the others, all I think about is half of Nicole Kidman's face in candlelight, like yeah. candlelight, like that's it. Like that's like if you want to experience this movie, literally just Google the poster, and that's it. 
Like that's all you need because there's there I, again. I'm kind of curious to Rob's. I feel like I'm going to be harsher on this than Rob is, but this is the definition of just it. I don't, I, I want to say style over substance because like I saw that in a couple reviews for it because I went yeah. and looked up like Roger Ebert's review of this and he gave it like a two and a half out of four stars, which means that like Ebert appreciated the craftsmanship of it, but he doesn't recommend it. Um, like Ebert had a pretty good like like groove you could figure out from his star system. Um, but like, no, this is the definition of just like, like vacuous cinema, but like, and and it's probably the most egregious in my opinion, because it's just, there's nothing to it there. I I just like, I found this the worst type of movie. Okay. I think you just said that, uh, you're expecting to be more harsh on this movie than me and you are absolutely correct, but I've been sitting here with a smile on my face since we started this Skype call, Zach. I fucking loved this movie. (laughs) God damn it, I could not tear myself away and you're right nothing happens it's style over substance (laughs) it's methodically slow and deliberate camera movements of watching nicole kidman lose her mind i was so about this movie (laughs) is this because like there's like like, there's like a a resemblance between her and naomi watts um i like i I feel that's part of it like it's subliminal almost with you because i'm like i got like a naomi watts vibe from this like like I, I almost like Mulholland yes, Drive. Yeah. Well, like, I, you, I got that vibe from this. There's definitely the comparison between the two of them, and I think they're both, you know, wonderfully beautiful women. And now that you mention that, I'm trying to think back. I might have been introduced to Nicole Kidman first, just because when I was younger and I saw Batman Forever, um, where she's the love interest of Bruce Wayne and Batman. They're in like a love triangle. <laughs> Um, and she is gorgeous in that movie. So it might be that you know I like Naomi Watts because she reminds me of Nicole Kidman, but. Man, Zach, this movie, I was so into this movie. Like, literally just watching somebody lose their mind. And it's such a, it's such a slow, atmospheric, like, pretentious piece of nonsense, I think. But I was oh, yeah. so Thank enthralled you. by Thank it. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? Rob summed it. Like, in all honesty, folks, like, I can tap out for the next, like, I don't know, 60 <laughs> to 85 minutes. Pretentious nonsense. Like, he summed it up perfectly. Like, that is, like, that is my pull quote. Pretentious nonsense. Like, okay, let me, let me do it this way. Because, like. I've said it numerous times on here. Like I have the objective film goer, uh, the Zach film goer. Then there's like the subjective one. Objectively speaking, this film is doing exactly what it wants to do. There is nothing like objectively bad about this film. There isn't like it's, it's every decision I don't like it's intentionally there. So I can't forsake the film for this, mm-hmm. but just, it's just like, again, pretentious nonsense. It's like it, my problem with like Nicole Kidman's character is that, it's a fait accompli that she's crazy. Like we are introduced to her to just like just kind of like like running around like she has no idea what's happening. Yeah. So like when she event so like when we have the revelation about her at the end, it's like, yeah. Like I, I want you to ins- I, I I feel bad for you, Rob, having to insert this clip into like the episode. But like when we have the twist about her, it reminded me of that segment from Tron Legacy where like bad uh, what's his name. <laughs> um, uh, oh god, Jeff Bridges yeah, turns yeah. around to like other Jeff Bridges. It's like, Flynn, am I still to create the perfect system? And we get the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, like that is exact. <laughs> that's that's exactly what ran through my mind when like like Nicole Kidman finally goes crazy. It's like, Flynn. Am I still to create the perfect system? Yeah. <laughs> It was a coup. 
Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, okay. Like we didn't know this from like the first five minutes of the movie where she's like, I want you to lock every door and close the blinds. It's like, that's just like, it's, it's crazy behavior. I'm like, like I, the only genuinely good thing I have to say about this film is the child performances. Like when you have me rooting for the kids over the adults, that <laughs> takes a lot. Cause as Rob knows, children actors are nightmares. And the children actors are actually trying in this film. And they do yeah. – like they – and like that's the only positive about this film. Everything else, like you can by all means just chuck it out the window. That was something that stood out to me as well as I really thought, you know, as we were getting the sense of everything going on, that the kids were going to be the thing that, that drags this movie down for me. And it absolutely isn't. Like I thought the kids did fine, you know? Yes, that's the only redeemable aspect of this film. Other than that, you can like, – like Barry, if you're listening to this, just take the VHS – which I can only hope is still sealed, and just suck it out the <laughs> and window. Send it to Rob. <laughs> oh God, man! Oh, God. No, there's something. There's something about the uh, the incredibly slow methodicalism to this movie that drew me in, and and a lot of the stuff is. And once again, I, I, just to make clear, I'm not disagreeing with a lot of stuff you're saying. We're really just disagreeing on how we how we enjoyed this movie, but. Like I think you even said it best before we started recording where, you know, Zach was like, maybe we need something else in this episode to really bump it up because, you know, otherwise it's going to be really short and, you know, we're just going to give our opinions because – and I, I do agree with that. As much as I love this movie, I could talk about how much I love it in the sense that I really like that, you know, the camera is just so slowly, like sluggishly inching across the screen and we're watching Nicole Kidman just stare at something. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, like, as anybody knows, I can appreciate like well-crafted, methodical cinema. It's just that like this was meant as not a blockbuster, but it was meant for mainstream appeal. Yes, yes. and I and, I, and that's where I find it almost inexplicable. That that's, like, this film almost made as much money as Vanilla Sky, mm-hmm. and it's like and it's that same level of just like famous person's face on the poster yeah i'm yeah. like that really like that like 2001 was probably one of the last years like you could do that just like like throwing someone's face on a poster because like two very similar movies and that just like they're just bonkers whereas i think we both agree vanilla sky has a lot more going on sure than this film does but it's the same idea that like they're very inaccessible films when it comes to like mass audiences yeah yeah and that that was one thing of course you know like you mentioned and i found in my research too that this movie did so well financially that is certainly surprising to me because when i watch this movie you know and i and i'm loving it so much and i'm it's making me think like i love the religion aspects i'm trying to like guess the twist beforehand and things like that it's really enthralling me in it with how you know and like i said atmospheric methodical it is I think of it as like, oh, this is a Rob type of movie. This is the type of movie that I show my friends and they go, God damn, Rob, you can't pick the movie next time. Like, I, I was kind of <laughs> baffled as well that this movie made so much goddamn money. <laughs> like, that's the thing. That, like, because, like, this is another one of those movies, like, much like Vanilla Sky, where, like, I'm, like, looking at it and I'm like, can you imagine, like, all the date nights that, like, that, like were ruined because of this movie in 2001? Sure, sure. Like, can you imagine, like, two, like, people, like, two, like, 19-year-olds, like, having a date night? Like, oh, we could go see the scary movie. <laughs> and it's, like, it's just Nicole McKimmon, like, wandering around the house, like, lit by candlelight. It's like, I, I, God, like, it just must have been so disappointing across the board. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, and, and the thing also that, that really threw me is when I, I was shocked and surprised by the fact of it doing so well, I, I did dive into it a little more. Apparently, this, like, this had legs. Like, this didn't really start off well, but it, it 
it grossed a lot in in the weeks to come, which is even further more surprising to me. <laughs> I like I, I I don't know. Like I find it literally insane. Like I, I it, it's one of those instances where it's genuinely inexplicable how um like mass audiences like just I don't want to know like you could even call it like like glommed onto it mm-hmm. because like there's like I, I to be honest I did not really like do a lot of like research like when it comes to um oh god like like where this film stands in like pop culture today yeah um it's very very like, it's very rare to see it referenced like I did look at like a couple of things on YouTube and most of them for the most like like are it has a I don't even want to say niche following it's just that like people are aware of it yeah like yeah. like, like I, I I don't even know how like you would even like coin that as a term it's like it's it's known but nobody has any strong feelings about it either way it just kind of it's there yeah I I would I would totally agree and so it like with me I mean even at the start of this I said that I always had some knowledge of this movie even though part of that knowledge was incorrect <laughs> that I I, I just kind of thought it was a, a movie that existed, and I, I always thought of it, like I said, as, oh, that's how Nicole Kidman, you know, really got her fame going, because she got her Oscar from it, and like I said, that was wrong. Um, but just just something I wrote down that's crazy, when this movie comes out in early August, it comes at fourth in the box office, and it pretty much stays at fourth for a month. In September, late September, it gets to second at the box office. That is the craziest thing for this movie. Of course, movies can do that. Movies, like, word of mouth we've always talked about. But the fact that this movie could do that is wild. What was going on in late 2001? Like, was everyone somehow, you know, premonitionally being very somber and getting ready for 9-11? And then after 9-11, people wanted to see something somber? I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if maybe this was, like, almost like comfort food. In the sense of like it was kind of like let's just kind of wash our problems away. Sure. Um, as in like it's it, it's escapism. I I don't know because like if you look at even the cinema score for this, it got a B, mm-hmm. which is not good. Yeah. Like that is the definition of like like blood in the water. It's like oh, mass audiences felt kind of cheated walking out of this. Like the marketing was deceptive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I that's the thing that I you know, that point exactly is why I think it's so baffling that this this movie stuck around for so long. It's it's kinda shocking. It is absolutely shocking. <laughs> but like that like but again, like I it's also PG thirteen, which means it was also accessible to a larger audience. Sure, sure. Like relative to something like Jeepers Creepers that will come out like like a week or so from now. Mm-hmm. Um and and that's the thing. But like once again, like this movie, The Others, and Jeepers Creepers are two very, very different things, but they're still within that same genre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's something else. It's, I'm just, I'm just kind of baffled. I'm glad we got to talk about this because I'm so baffled by it. <laughs> but that's the thing that I find fascinating, though, is that, like, it goes back to that argument of, like, one film loses the box office battle but wins the legacy one. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you have you have The Others – that makes $200 million worldwide, which I can't even believe that's a thing. <laughs> and then you have Jeepers Creepers, which makes $59 million worldwide, but one is infinitely more remembered than the other. Yep. It's... You'd, be hard, it'd be harder for you to find someone that remembers the others than Jeepers Creepers. Uh, exactly. And yes, one is a franchise. And of course, one is a franchise, the other isn't. But one is starring Academy Award winner Nicole Kidman. <laughs> yeah, and the other one is Justin Long. Yep. 
and that's and that's the thing I find just so fascinating about this is that like like well that's what it boils down to is the idea that like this is just a more pretentious version of the sixth sense like that's obviously what mass audiences were thinking when they walked out of this yes and I'm glad you bring that up now and you brought that up before because of course you can't not get the sixth sense vibes from this movie you know even when you're watching it before you know the twist. And, you know, maybe that's one of the things, you know, in conjunction with what we've been talking about the box office that I think made this movie do so well is that maybe the word of mouth was something like, oh, it's the next sixth sense. You know what I mean? Like, like that's one of those things where like, I would have loved to like just see like what the like the media like landscape was at that time. But like, I don't know. Like if I because this was a Weinstein film, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. And a Tom like, Cruise produced film because they, he was married oh, to Nicole Kidman at the time oh, of this. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we were on the uh, the precipice of Penelope Cruz. <laughs> this must this feels like a Harvey Weinstein. Just like we're gonna slap the actor's face on the poster and just drag it across across the finish line. Sure, sure. I, I just I just don't get how like with that level of word of mouth and like like corroborated by the low cinema score. Got this film to like God, like like, a, like what like a four or five times like opening weekend multiplier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you when you think about it though, in the sixth sense sense, it is really similar. And maybe you know that's what they kind of saw this movie as: spooky ghost story. There's a twist at the end. Child actors, that type of thing. And I think I I I know I've said it before on the podcast. I do like the sixth sense as much as I dislike M Night Shyamalan. My favorite movie of his is you know Hot Take the Sixth Sense. Um, but honestly, I think, Zach, I have to say, personal preference, I like this better than The Sixth Sense. I, I think it's just because of the atmosphericness of that, of that, you know, methodicalism, slow burn that I love in storytelling, where Sixth Sense has more of a, of a shock factor in a lot of it. You know, like with the bodies hanging, with, um, what's her name, what, Misha, Misha Barton throwing up at a certain point? I think that happens in The Sixth Sense. <laughs> Fun fact, I have never seen The Sixth Sense. Oh, okay. Did, did, did we spoil anything for you, Zach? Did you not know the twist to The Sixth Sense? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, if only. Um, good old cultural osmosis. Uh, no, but, like, like that's, is this, like, The Sixth Sense is a pulpier version of this. Yes, uh, uh, definitely pulpier. You know, there's a lot more, you know, going for, like I said, that shock factor because they show a lot of dead bodies in The Sixth Sense. Where here, you are, once again, just to make sure we're on the same page, you are not wrong, Zach. Not a lot happens in this movie. <laughs> no, but like, even like, again, like, this movie is the poster. And you look at this, and like, the tagline for the movie is, quote, sooner or later, they will find you. Yes. What does that mean? Like, how is that? I, I, I have no idea how that connects to the plot. <laughs> well, um, I'm kind of with you. Uh, a grasping at straws here, but I think it comes down to at the end, you know, when um, Mrs. Mills, played by the wonderful, um, I believe it's pronounced Fionula, Fionula Flanagan, who's also in Lost. She's Eloise Hawking. Um, she says something like, you know, we've gotten rid of these intruders but there might be more. We might we might be able to feel them. They might be able to feel us. We don't know, really know how it works. That's kind of the only thing where it's like, oh, the, the living is always going to somehow have some contact with the dead eventually. But like I said, grasping at straws, it's not a great tagline. Like, it, it makes no sense in the context of the film. Like, like relative to that, being like, oh, certainly they will find you. Like, what? Like, she's the ghost. What? That, like, like the, the living? Like... Like and even like, like I was watching the Chris Stuckman review of this, and he was very much on the same side as you were, Rob. Maybe just a little more glowing. Okay. And and his thing is like, oh, like it's a film that like lends itself to like repeat viewings. And I'm like, what? Like it's very easy to trace back everything because like 
like, and can we please talk about the seance scene at the end, which might be one of the goofiest things ever filmed, where we have like Nicole Kidman awkwardly like tearing up pieces of paper, and uh, it like yeah. cuts to just the paper tearing itself up in the air. Yeah. And like, at, that, at that point, I literally just took my shoe off and threw it into the TV. <laughs> you're um, you're like, not wrong. The when it when you first get the sense of what's happening and that the seance is happening and we get we're getting that tw- well the first twist is that the um the house staff are ghosts the second twist is that everybody's a ghost Wh- when the camera work is shown where like you know although the kids are screaming we're not dead and then Nicole Kidman starts screaming we are not dead and she runs up to the table and like shakes it and it cuts to the seance and you see the table shaking without Nicole Kidman there I'm like that's cool. The papers ripping up is a step too far. That's some goofy nonsense. I was like, I, I got it. I was like, movie, I got what you were going for, and I thought it was really cool. We don't need the fucking papers flying through the air, too. <laughs> I I vehemently disagree with the first part of that. I found it almost embarrassing. Really? Like, oh, I, God. I, 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 found it, I found it embarrassing. Like, if, like, this is one of those moments that, like, I don't know, for whatever reason, like, we were back in high school and, like, we decided to go see this, or if this was, like, our version of pre-gaming a Marvel film, and we sure. went to go see this, <laughs> I would have literally died out laughing, like, died laughing, like, in the theater, and just would have exclaimed at the screen, fuck you, movie. Is that, like, no. Like, th- like that is a, to me, that is infinitely more embarrassing than maybe anything else in the four year. And, like, maybe, like, that discrepancy is because, like, this isn't, like, like prestige actor Nicole Kidman doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like let's say for example, like if this was Vera Farmiga in The Conjuring, I'd be like, nah, this is par for the course. Okay. I'm okay. like, like if this were to happen in like, I don't know, The Conjuring or Insidious, I'd be like, okay, like fine, like I, I don't expect much, but like that, like we we awkwardly have Nicole Kidman just like. Like just like like just throttling the table. I'm like, what is this? And then we have the papers, and I'm just like, we have like all the people at the table being like, what is going on? And I'm just like, no. I'm like, no movie. Like like no. Like bad movie. Like, like I rolled up a newspaper and started <laughs> smacking it on the head. Bad movie. Bad. It's like no. Like embarrassing. Like definition of cringe inducing. I would say anything in the entirety of Saving Silverman. Like it's wow. that level of just like like again it's embarrassing like like I were Nicole Kim and I just be like Jesus Jesus like like God how does this look so bad I oh man wow okay yeah I I could not disagree more I mean the papers I think we're on the same page that's 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 goofy but I took it as you know oh it's a seance. If you have, like, a medium or somebody holding a seance and they're faking it, of course, what do you do? You kick up the table. You say, oh, it was the spooky ghost, you know, that type of thing. I don't know. It played to me as really as, like, she's losing her mind. She's absolutely batshit insane. She would go and shake the table, you know? I thought that was, like, a, a reasonable thing. And maybe she wanted to flip but, the table, but she couldn't because she's, a you know, th- thin as a board type of thing. <laughs> but, like, okay, fine. I can see that, like, as character motivation. It, once again, comes down to, like, execution. Like, okay, once again, like, yeah. as, as, as an idea on the script, it probably worked. I don't deny that. It's the execution of it because, like, at that moment, we're trying to have a scary moment or a okay i'll take it back one step further a unnerving moment mm-hmm. and it's like we are like the entire film we're supposed to be empathetic to the plight of nicole Kimmon. yes we are more at this point in the film we are more to pity her than we are to be sharing her fear it's just not even it's frustration frustration isn't scary at least in the context they're like showing us 
And that's where I'm just like, no, like, like I am not like, like what is the director trying to convey to us at that moment? She's not scared. She's more just frustrated at that point. Yeah, I, frustrated is a good way to put it. I think angry. I think, you know, this is like the peak of dealing with some sense paranoia. Like I, like I mentioned before, you're really watching Nicole Kidman lose her mind for most of the movie till the twists start happening. So some sense of like angry paranoia and, and things like that. I, uh, I, I, I said, but, but, but that's, but, Hossick, but that's yeah. the thing though. You are set. Like, look at that poster. You are, and you look at the trailers. The trailers are scaring spooky house, a haunted house movie. And as a climax for a spooky haunted house movie, that climax of the seance, and we haven't even gotten to the medium who has like the clouded over, fogged over eyes, yeah. which is just goofy as hell. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, no movie, no. Like, like that's the thing. Like the movie goes from like, like, like you said, Rob, pretentious nonsense to schlock in like the span of like a fraction of a second, and it's like tone, it's just tone whiplash. Uh, and I'm yeah, just like. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I'm just like, I don't know how anybody who takes movies seriously, either as like a Roger Ebert or as someone who loves like the genre of horror, could take this movie seriously. Because at that point, the movie doesn't know what it wants to be. Like, this just feels like, like again, this was a passion project of somebody, whether it be Harvey Weinstein or Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise or whoever. And this that like the filmmaker, whoever his name is. Mm-hmm. I'm not even gonna. I'm gonna butcher it. So I'm not even gonna say it. <laughs> Didn't know how to stick the landing. Uh, yeah. You're, so you're not. Uh, I, this is this is where you're making good points because the stuff that I love about this movie is pretty much everything before the the reveal, the the revelatory sense of like, oh, that's what this movie was. I love that. Like I've been saying so many times, methodical, slow burn, watching Nicole Kidman lose her mind, dealing with this stuff, and trying to raise her kids and all that and all that nonsense. More of the mystery. I think it, it comes across to me, and you're making a good point with the marketing and stuff, that, and once again, to compare to The Sixth Sense, maybe we're in the shadow of uh, The Sixth Sense where, you know, the studio, the Weinsteins or, you know, Tom Cruise, whoever, the, the Hollywood system, you know, almost mandated that we needed something like that. Because I think that's why, and to make the comparison to The Turn of the Screw, The Turn of the Screw elements of this movie are that first kind of, you know, uh, hour and 30 minutes, everything before the seance and the ghosts revealed and stuff like that. It's like the whole point of Turn of the Screw is that there is constant ambiguity about whether or not the ghosts are there or just in the main character's mind, and it never gets settled. And I feel like when you have a twist in a movie that definitively settles things, then you run the risk of, like you're saying, making it come across as schlock or goofy or not being able to stick the landing. Uh, I know that's something I've said a lot. I like ambiguity kind of through and through, for sure. That's like that. Yes, again, they're trying to have their cake and eat it. Too. Exactly. And, yes, and I think that's the problem. But like you go like, again, I'm just kind of thinking about The Shining a lot during this. When we get like like as we all know, like in the third act of The Shining, when you have like all hell's breaking loose in the Overlook, and you have like Shelley Duvall running around, you have like a bear man performing fellatio. <laughs> yeah. You have you have like the haunted house lobby with like all the skeletons and cobwebs. And the whole time, like, I'm, I'm watching that, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about that, and I'm like, why does that level of just, like, I don't want to say jarring, but that, like, level of discrepancy, like, versus everything else we've seen in the film, why does that work in The Shining relative to, like, how I think in the others, it just becomes laughable? Okay. And I think the thing is, is that, like, A, too much of the others like almost exclusively the entire film is writing on Nicole Kidman's character. Yes. 
And I think that's the problem is that like, again, the film begins as the fait accompli that she's crazy. It literally like the film begins with her just like having all these weird like rules and all this and all that. And it's like, okay, she comes across as demented before we even know anything about her. Yeah, the, the first scene just, of the movie with her her first appearance right at the beginning is her screaming while she wakes up. <laughs> exactly. So, like, it's like, okay, you have no – like, she's already at rock bottom. She's got nowhere to go but, like, up. And then, like, again, you go back to The Shining, and you're like – you realize when all these kind of goofy things are happening, it's not happening to our protagonist, Jack Torrance. It's happening to Shelley Duvall, who's been established as our, like, status quo character. Yes, yes. So the idea that when all these kind of macabre things happen, it's happening to somebody who is our baseline. Sure. So it may so it, it, it creates a huge discrepancy. Whereas it's the crazy stuff has been happening to Nicole Kidman throughout the entire runtime. So when you have these more macabre elements happen at the end, it's like, okay, you're going from like like a negative ten to like a negative nine. It's like the 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 degree or the severity is not great enough for me to kind of really feel that like plunge. Sure, sure. I see what you're saying. And no, I, I made that I had that thought too, watching this, you know, comparing it to the shining. Um but like I think I think you said it best that, you know, one th- one the spooky stuff in the shining is happening to our baseline, not to the person who's going crazy. And two, I also think there's no real revelation at the end of The Shining, where this movie's trying to be so twisty to, as I've said before, a twist to recontextualize what you've just seen. And I think The Shining excels in the sense that it's not trying to recontextualize what you've seen. It's trying to to expand on what you've seen. I think uh, I, I will I, I will push back on that a little bit because, you know, like we go too far. Into, like if we like weigh into the waters of The Shining, it'll become that discussion. <laughs> yeah. And we don't want we, we don't want to do that. But like. I think it does though, but like that is part of the brilliance of the shining because you do get that pick, you get that shot of the the July Fourth what uh, ball, like the image. Oh, at the and very yeah, does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though it's not as pronounced as what they're trying to do in the others, I think it's still trying to communicate the same sort of what would you call it message, mm-hmm. but it's doing it in a much more veiled way. Okay. Okay. No, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean there. And and I, I guess I really didn't think of the um the the photograph in The Shining at the at the end. You know, when I was watching this movie, I was thinking more of the when everything starts to go off the rails type of thing. But no, that that that's a good point. Um, I think also that to, for me personally, you know, one of the things that kept this movie going for me, I really did love those those religion scenes with the children. That that made me think more about this movie. Um, you know, maybe unless you have something else to say about the ending, I think the the thing about the ending, more of the punch of this movie of the ending was not the oh everybody's dead. It's the idea that it's, I think it's an insane concept. Is that you know Nicole Kidman has the revelation that she's dead and she remembers like smothering the kids with the pillow and she remembers holding the gun to her head and pulling the trigger and then she says and then nothing happened and life seemed to go on it had before. Why you did? I got the rifle. I 
put it to my forehead. And I pulled the trigger. And it's this really, I, I found that to be more of the punch, not the, oh my god, they were dead the whole time, in the fact that, you know, uh, to, to quote our favorite band, Dream Theater, death is not the end, but simply a transition. And I thought that was way more impactful than the actual, like, spooky seance stuff, you know what I mean? I thought I was going to say, quote our favorite band, Dream Theater, he'd be like, pull me under, <laughs> pull me under, pull me under, I'm not afraid. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to put that whole song like, in here right now. <laughs> <laughs> Add eight minutes to the oh, runtime in this episode. And, and this has become the longest episode of Cinemodities <laughs> ever. Um... <laughs> No, I like, know. Like, I agree with you. Like, again, I think this film works a lot better on paper. Yeah. And I think that I think the execution is of it is the problem. Because, um, like, even like, like, there's things that I need you to explain some things for me. Because obviously, you've got a better understanding, or maybe even grasp of this than I do. Um, the sequence of the daughter in her communion gown, and then you have like Nicole Kidman runs back in. You have the, "Are you mad? I am your daughter." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the contextual point of that? Ah, that's see, I was thinking the same thing because it seems that in this. This world that we're living in, this this afterlife, I guess, you know, these people trapped in this – spirits trapped in this house, they're stuck in the state of when they died. And I think we get that, you know, when – you know, at the end, Nicole Kidman's like, I killed my kids, uh, that my kids are going to be this age, you know, forever because that's the age they were when they died. The only thing I can think of is that the – um the seams of this fake reality that Nicole K- Kidman is living in and believes is the real, you know, living world, she's seeing her daughter as the decayed – version of her of the daughter that's like buried in the ground you know because of course in the real world these children's bodies probably still exist they were probably buried and that you know she's seeing her as she really is in the the real world like this this weird bleeding over between the spirit life and the the living life okay so again like i said you were paying much more close attention to this than i was what like when nicole kimmon smothers them does she smother them and then there's like like a, a nice time lapse then she kills herself 
or how close do these events occur to each other? I, I took it as she smothered them and then went to kill herself almost immediately after, like a murder-suicide type of deal. Okay, so there's no way that, like, okay, she married her kid. I'm sorry, I'm married. Um, she murders her child and her <laughs> daughter. That'd be a wildly no, it's different that movie. It's that, <laughs> a wildly different movie. Um, so she murders her. It's not like she murders her daughter, like, marries her, and then, like, um, God damn it, <laughs> murders her. Why is my brain confusing? You ever seen The Others? That's the movie where Nicole Kidman marries her daughter, <laughs> and then people are like, what? And then you go, turn of the screw. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's a communion outfit that's just like psycho like subliminally like messing me up because it just feels like, like so no but this is the thing it's not like okay she murders her daughter and then like oh she like buries her or like or on the verge of like burying her she's like oh I want to take one of these death photographs of her and the corpse is all like bloated and all that and like decaying it's not like that at all right no I don't think so I think it's it's almost so, immediate yeah. So it's a set, that entire sequence of "Are you mad? I am your daughter" is almost completely irrelevant to the film. It's just thrown in as a spooky moment. I that, see. That's the thing. I definitely kind of see it as a spooky moment. I'm definitely doing some rationalization when I say, you know, oh, the real world is blending into Nicole Kidman's or this this house's afterlife. So Nicole Kidman is seeing, you know. Um, what the daughter would look like in reality while she's acting in the spirit world. That doesn't really add much to the story. I, I don't think that adds a lot to, you know, it's a mo- It's a spooky moment, and Nicole Kidman's losing her mind. That's what we're supposed to get. It seems like a very Hollywood type of moment. I'm with you there. It's, it's, it's there to get a rise out of the audience, and it was always the last moment in all the trailers. Oh, the okay, okay, sure, sure. I told you, there's only two things I remember from this movie. It's Nicole Kidman is dead, and... Are you mad? Yes. I am your daughter. Like, I, 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 again, like that's all. Like, I'll be saying that. Like, I'll, I'll have like dementia in the nursing home, and they'll be like, "Grandpa saying, are you mad? I am your daughter again." Like, what does this mean? Um, it's, it's like that's it. Then, like, even you have this. I don't even want to call it a sequence. It's the scene where, like, it's the like photo album of all like the corpses, and it's like, does that have an importance to the film? Well, not that... not really. It's it, it's like I get it. It's like visual set dressing. Yeah, yeah. But like, it's just kind of again there for just like as opposed uh, like as opposed to the earlier moment we discussed. This is just there as creepy moment. Yes. Yeah. Once again, you're not wrong. Geez, this is this is the strangest movie to talk about because you are clearly latching onto events in the film, and you're right. All the events in this film are not that great. I like the non-events where we're just watching Nicole Kidman stare Rob, at something. <laughs> Rob's like, if I could have a screensaver background of the castle with fog moving around it, that would be an infinitely better movie <laughs> than anything else. I was like, give me a screensaver out of this movie. That's all I want. It begins and ends there. Yeah, I know the uh, the the death photo, the death album, whatever it's called, the photograph album. Well, one, I I actually found that very funny. Where Nicole Kidman has the has the death, all the pictures of dead people, and she says to Fionnula Flanagan, she's like, "What is this?" And and Fionnula Flanagan's response is, "It's a photo album, miss." (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. (laughs) She's like, "Are you dumb?" I I think that's supposed to be – it's all the – once again, maybe that's the thing is that, you know, this is trying to be so similar. And once again, this is something maybe I should have done more research on and we'll look into in the future. Maybe this was supposed to be like, you know, trying to go for exactly that sixth sense thing because I know I've said before – 
Sixth Sense is one of those movies, if you watch and you know you, you know the ending or not, you just watch as it goes through. If you rewatch it, you realize that all the breadcrumbs were there earlier in the movie. Like, I've always cited there's a scene when Bruce Willis sits down and has dinner with his wife. And when after you know the twist of The Sixth Sense, you go, well, how could that have been? And when you go back and watch that scene, you realize, you know, he never touches anything on the table. He doesn't even touch the chair when he moves, when he sits down in it. And there's all these breadcrumbs to kind of be like, ah, look at the cleverness of how they, they made everything fit in this universe. That's how I kind of see some of these scenes that you're mentioning, is they're, they're trying to sow the breadcrumbs of... Uh, of Nicole Kidman being dead, and I think there's, you know, very importantly, another kind of goofy line that that adds to this is that when, you know, the maid, or Mrs. Mills, says to Nicole Kidman, like, these are, you know, photographs of dead people, that comes right after Nicole Kidman says, why'd they take pictures of all these people when they're sleeping? And she's like, they're not sleeping, they're dead. And that's a very goofy line, but I think that's what he's going for in the sense that, oh, Nicole Kidman doesn't even realize, which any normal person would, that these are pictures of dead people she thinks they're just sleeping that type of thing so we need some other character to to drop that breadcrumb type of thing if you know what i mean no i i I get it um but like this just feels like somebody who just didn't know how to execute a script like that like this feels like somebody who knew like had has one really good like oh god what's the best way to put this it's like somebody who's really good with like a hammer and they just yeah, go around yeah. hammering everything, even if that's not the right like tool for the job. You and said it really well earlier. Like you said, you saw in reviews, which I did too, style over substance. I am totally in agreement with you. This is a style over substance movie. It just happens that, goddamn, do I love that style. It's like some of the um, – in, in I don't know, six weeks or something when, we, when I get to talk about the Leica movies. Some of those movies have really stupid stories, but Jesus, do I love that style they put into it. That, this falls into that category. Yeah, but like, like not to compare this to Henry Salick, but like, there's at least a core there. Sure, this, sure. There, there, there's nothing to this because, like, even like the point you were getting out earlier, the idea of like going back, it recontextualizes the film, like with the Sixth Sense. With this, everything that like is inexplicable early in, earlier on in the film, like or through the, the course of the film, mm-hmm. like whether it be like the, the Victor. Or that's right. That's that's the living boy's name. Yes, yes. The sun, um, or the curtains disappearing. Everything is explained that was inexplicable once you hear, "Oh, Nicole Kidman was dead," and it's, and it's a lie family. Like, there's literally like once you get the twist of this movie, there is no reason to go back. Like, everything's exp- like it because ex- like, there's not enough like little small details that are that could be like what's the word uncovered. Exactly. Everything. Everything that's meant to be spooky is blown up to a huge proportion, and it's like you can count it all on one hand. So when you get that twist, it's explained instantaneously. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, like, like I got it. Like I think that's why I never had any interest in ever revisiting this movie once I got it. Like on VHS, was it like even me at nine years old was like, yeah, I got it. Thanks. <laughs> sure. No, and you're and you're not wrong there. Like I like I once again to mention that scene in um the when Bruce Willis goes to the restaurant, he he doesn't touch the chair. That's a very small moment and there's a lot of those moments in Sixth Sense that you can pick up on. This movie tries I think it's limiting itself since it takes place all in one house that every type of moment you get of that is just oh my god that door is open and it wasn't open before, you know, that type of thing. Somehow this is a more highbrow yet less articulate version of the Sixth Sense. Yeah, it really is because it's, it's there's almost no amazing moment, in that regard. Exactly. There's no moment in the Sixth Sense where I'm really tense or anything like that except maybe the 
like the famous shot, uh, the scene when, you know, Haley Joel Osment tells, like, the I See Dead People scene. That's a really, really cool moment in The Sixth Sense. But there's no moment where I'm like, like you're, you're not watching Bruce Willis go insane. You're not watching him question reality. You do Bruce Willis, the whole movie until the end, you know, is just like, this kid's a weirdo, and maybe he has something going for him, but he's just kind of he's just kind of weird. Where Nicole Kidman is really losing it in the movie. And that's the thing. I don't think I'd ever go back and watch the others again. But I could totally see myself being like, oh, I just want to watch a scene to get in a certain mood. Like, I want to watch the scene when she goes into the junk room and there's all these weird noises and the scary strings in the, in the, in the, the score and stuff like that. And then, you know, I kind of stop there when it's like, oh, it's just the doors open. <laughs> yeah. It's, okay, and well, something I want you to explain to me, what is going on with Christopher Eccleston? Like, what is what is that? Like, does he actually come back or is that just – a, a, a specter that comes and goes as he pleases. Um, like there's like the rules of the afterlife are kind of ill-defined. So, so this is that's something that I, once again, <laughs> big time some rationalization here. But since Zach asked me, you're going to get the Rob answer. This is where I took another thing from uh, the Turn of the Screw. So in the Turn of the Screw, the, there's two ghosts, and they are dead lovers. And so, you know, our main character is seeing these two previous tenants, or groundskeepers, I think, house staff, where she's working, um, you know, as ghostly figures. I think, this is, this is how I've kind of rationalized it, which I really like. Once again, I don't know if the script's going for this, but if it is, good on, you know, Alejandro. But I think that when the real family is starting to get the sense that this house is haunted— they they get in touch with this medium, you know, the old lady that the our daughter and the, the others draws and says, like, she's a weird witch with crazy eyes, you know, that type of thing. When the family starts to think that the house is haunted and they reach out to the medium and maybe they do some research about, well, who would have lived in this house prior, who could have been inhabiting it, they would have found the man first. They would have found that, oh, this guy went off to war type of thing. Don't, do we think the man is haunting this house? And the medium would reach out to the, the husband, Christopher Eccleston, and that's what brings him back into the, the, the spirit realm or into this story. I think, oh. that, I think there's some sense of like a very misogynistic view of, you know, well, who's haunting us? It has to be a man, you know, that type of thing. And when they realize that it might not be the man, they, we get to the last scene, and that's why Christopher Eccleston's only in it for a little bit. There's some, some real-world channeling of the, the owner, the lord of the house to some extent, that brings him back just briefly. You know what I mean? But that's Rob conjecture. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, like, 100%. I think that's a really fucking cool idea. Nothing in the movie supports that. The turn what, of the screw supports that. <laughs> what is the movie's explanation for him showing up and disappearing? Zero. Fucking zero. <laughs> it, it makes no – like, one – you have Nicole it. Kidman going. She's like, I'm going to walk to the village. And I'm like, you don't have a fucking car, you know? You don't have like a – you could have um, Mr. Tuttle drive you or something into town. And she roams around in the fog for a while and then, you know, uh, Christopher Eccleston shows up and it's like this grand reunion. Clearly now, you know, if at the end of the movie we know um, Mrs. Mills knows he's dead too. It seems that way. I, I But that's the thing. That was one of the things where it's like I was able to contextualize this – because of the turn of the screw aspect, not because of what the movie was giving me. And I'm, I'll totally admit that. <laughs> Is there, like I said, like, like, I was paying attention to this film, but after a while I just mentally checked out because, like, nothing's happening. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, no. Is it like, is there a reason again not rob conjecture you can do the rob conjecture afterwards <laughs> sure. but does but does the film give any reason as to why the uh spirits of the groundskeepers and the help 
are actively working against her. I think in the movie it does it twice where we focus on the 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 house staff, the one where they're covering up the headstones and yes. Mr. Mr. Tuttle says, "When are we going to bring this to light?" and Fiona Flanagan is like, "Not yet." And then there's the scene when they're in their shed and it's like the mother's acting like nothing happened. How are we going to convince her of these things? I I think that's an explanation that they they are trying to convince her or get her to know that she's a ghost to some extent. And I think everything that they're doing to act against her is to slowly bring her to that type of thing. So that's another plot thread that kind of begins out of nowhere and go and pretty much is just resolved by the fact that the film ends. Yes, it's the setup of the mystery of that these people show up here out of nowhere and Nicole Kidman's like, oh, you responded to the newspaper ad I put in there. Then it's like, oh, no, I never got to send the newspaper ad. How are you here? You know, we... We were here when everybody left because of tuberculosis and that type of stuff. It's the thing it's – the, it's the sowing the seeds of mystery, which I, of course, am a sucker for, and I fell into that trap. I was like, is it going to turn out that the kids don't have a light allergy? Is it going to turn out that the house staff are the, the ones that made the old ones vanish and things like that? But it is very much you know, funneled into – probably to a detriment – funneled into the sense that we are just going to get to Nicole Kidman and the kids were dead the whole time, that type of thing. That's what it feels like, and we're just introducing these other elements. This is just fodder. Fodder, and then really they try to make it, which I think works to some extent, is that the house staff, you know, Fiona Flanagan, Eric Sykes, and I did not write down who plays Lydia, the mute woman, who has literally nothing to do in this movie. I love that there's a moment in the movie where, like, like Nicole Kidman just, like, grabs her by the face and just like, talk to me! Write it down! Write it down! (laughs) I'm like, again, like, I, all honesty, again, that's another moment I completely forgot about, though, but I'm, like, embarrassing. Like, like, if I was Nicole Kidman, like, if, like, if I was being interviewed for whatever the hell I'm currently working on, so I brought this up, I'd be like, I don't want to talk about it. I'd just be like, I really, like, like, it was a part of my life, like, it was, it was, it came from a bad place. I don't want to talk about it. Like, okay, I would, okay. I, like I said, like Nicole Kidman's a weird actress. Like she's prestige, but she's also done a bunch of goofy stuff at the same time. Um, again, like she's in the same realm as like Tom Cruise. Like weirdly enough, yeah, yeah. Um, like, like she's still a household name, but she's she's kind of all over the place. Um, but like I would say, this is like again, I would call this somebody like trying their all, but it's also an embarrassing performance. Like I would, sure. Like, like nobody knew, nobody knew how to talk to her. Like I, that's the thing. I don't. I think she's very much doing her own thing, and nobody had the gall to kind of just step in and tell her to kind of dial it back. That's that's fair. Um, one, one to finish my thought. I think the movie's trying to make out the the new house staff to be the arbiters into the afterlife. And it tries to have that at the end, like with some of the lines I've quoted from Fiona Flanagan about the intruders and stuff like that. But, but I think that wraps that up. Two, you bring up a really good point with the embarrassing nature of this performance. Because I, I think that if I went back and watched certain scenes or maybe watched it in a little more objective lens, not, not literally throwing myself into the atmosphere of the movie, which I think you know, precluded me from feeling embarrassed for Nicole Kidman, do you think this is more embarrassing... Have you seen her and Will Ferrell in Bewitched? A long, long time ago. That's that's this type of stuff that I think of as embarrassing, where really they're just like, you're a bankable woman, you're going to play a witch, it's going to be goofy and nonsensical. I, I, I think that's something we've talked about a lot before, where maybe the overtop and goofy, that's what that movie's going for. Bewitched, we could do a whole episode on, I'm sure, with how fucking ridiculous that movie is, but... That's what I think is more embarrassing, but I think you're getting at the sense of that, you know, oh, we have these over-the-top moments in such a somber, you know, slow-burn type of movie, such as in the others, that becomes embarrassing. Is that kind of what you're, what we're getting at? 
Oh, 100 percent. It comes okay. to just like the level of discrepancy between like what the intent of the overall film is and the and like relative to the performances that the actors are giving. Like Bewitched is like again, that's a very strange movie, the 2005 one. Yes. And I think that's the issues. Like that is a very peculiar movie thematically, plot wise. So when you get goofy performances out of the actors, that's at least like in scale to everything else that's going on. Sure. This is a movie that, like we've said, has its head up, lodged up its ass. <laughs> so when you have Nicole Kidman grabbing a mute woman by the head, being like, "Talk to me," <laughs> it, it becomes like, "What is going on?" Like, no, like bad. Again, I roll up the newspaper <laughs> and I'm like, "Bad movie, bad." I love that. I love that your your Nicole Kidman impression for that scene in this movie is you doing Christian Bale as Batman, going "Swear to me." <laughs> it's exactly that's what it is. Okay, Rob, please, you're you're the one editing this now. Please do, please do a back to back of Nicole Kidman yelling at the mute woman with Christian Bale saying "Swear to me." Swear to me. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong, Rob. Tell no, you're not. Wrong. You're not wrong. It really. kind of thing and and once again i i feel that um you know um it's it's this like i said a, a while ago this is such a weird conversation to have because as i'm watching this movie in the moment i'm so drawn into it that type of thing and then once i start to dissect it as as we're doing it's just like god damn zach zach you're right i don't like it but you're right it's one of those instances <laughs> it's schlock like that's like that's the thing about this movie is that it's like it's delightful in the regard that it's just it's unintentional schlock and, sure. and, un, and unintentional schlock is kind of the equivalent of taking like what um, – oh, god. What's it called when they go looking for like uh, gold like in the rivers? They oh, take panning? Little, like, sift it. Panning? Yes, thank you. The, yeah. the panning tray. And like you're like, eh, I'm probably not going to find anything. Um, and then like you get like a little little itty-bitty like thing of gold. You're like, oh, isn't that neat? Um, and, and that's what this is, is that like – it's it's panning for gold and getting a like, like a speck. Okay. It's like you know what? It's like what? Like it, I, I'm not mad that I wasted two hours on this. Sure. Um, I'm I'm more baffled by it than anything else. But I do think that this is very much like has its 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 moments where it's just so goofy, <laughs> um, and those moments are so jarring that it does make it a worthwhile venture. If if you know that's a weird thing about it. Like, and this is definitely something we'll like touch more on when we get to like late night status. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the idea is like, is it better to go into this movie cold or knowing that it has its weird moments? Ah, that's an interesting question because clearly, me going in cold, I fell in love with the atmosphere. Yeah, Someone... but you're, you're the except. You're the exception. Yeah, exactly. Well, to be fair, this, Rob, this you're is... not the average movie goer. No, not at all. And like I said at the start, this might be a, a textbook definition example of a Rob movie. You know, slow and nothing happens. <laughs> like the movies I really fucking love. You know that type of thing. Um, one sure. we've been one I've been talking about so frequently. You know, is Anomalisa. Slow and not a lot happens, but oh my god, does it make me think? And I absolutely fucking love it. But I on the topic of uh, – because, of course, like you said, I think we're going to get to that exact question 
when we get to late night a lot more. And there is some, you know, I think uh, precursor nature of, you know, knowing your audience, as we said before. That's what I'm looking for. Uh, just just to finish up the, the Nicole Kidman, like, embarrassing stuff in this movie. Do you think the entire performance is embarrassing? Or do you just think it's those script moments? Because one of my things that I got a lot from this movie was when we don't have dialogue, when it is just us watching her go insane and being paranoid and it's that slow burn type of stuff... I think her physical acting is on point. I think that the way she she carries herself in this movie is really, really good. I think it it draws me into the world even more, if you know what I mean. (sighs) And, of course, we might be confounding this with, you know, how stunningly beautiful Nicole Kidman is. Um, I, I, that's the thing, like, the, like, Nicole, I think the problem is that nobody is reining her in. Nobody is giving her any sort of, like, goalpost to kind of play within. Um, so she's just kind of doing what she thinks is best. Okay, okay. And as we know, like, any sort of, like, artistic venture, you need to rein people in. You gotta, like, you gotta bounce off people. And the problem is that nobody told her no. Okay, I see what you're so saying. So I would say less embarrassing, more showing that she has no restraint. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Because, I mean, what, so 2001, this comes out. She's she's definitely in like you know um, I don't know maybe maybe not movie star status but on the rise movie star because of course before this I think she has some great performances she gets a lot of recognition of course for Eyes Wide Shut uh, which she's great in I think and I know there's some other movies that I'm missing we mentioned Batman Forever before I, I know there's some other movies that got a lot of acclaim so maybe that's one of those things where you know they they get her in here and it's like yeah we scored it like this is going to be a slam dunk we let Nicole Kidman be Nicole Kidman it's going to be a, a, a hot success type of thing. And it was, of course, but like you said, there was no one to rein her in because they thought they didn't need to rein her in. That's, yeah, I, I agree. And maybe, you know, maybe that's the other thing. I haven't seen a lot. I, when I see Nicole Kidman, you know, this might be one of the the first I've seen where she's the lead. I guess the next closest thing would be the Stepford, Stepford Wives remake. She's not the lead of that. She's the the you know she is robot well i mean matthew well, broderick's yeah. more her, the lead but... fa- well okay i mean i mean when i say lead i'm thinking about like the face of the post oh oh yes absolutely they're like nicole kidman she's a robot lady <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's what i mean by that sure sure yeah you're absolutely right the poster for stepford vibes that i remember is um nicole kidman's face so yeah definitely better than broderick's face i'll give you that <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I think you know, Zach. This is this is, has been a, an interesting conversation. Um, just on this on this kind of connective tissue that I that I do want to get to. Do you think this movie would have been improved upon with the inclusion of a ghost oh cat? <laughs> are, are, are we transitioning, Rob? Are we transitioning? I think so. I think that you you set it up well. That the other thoughts we have on this movie will come with our questions. And I, I'm really now interested after talking to you about this movie, especially with that last scene with the seance and the medium. It's it's no stranger to me, and I think to our cinema audience that uh, you you kind of love this goofy nonsense ghost story uh, documentary style TV, right? <laughs> oh God, yeah. Oh God, yeah. I, okay, okay, Rob. How, how do we introduce this? I properly? guess the like, I guess I, I, we can give the the play by play context. Um, Zach texts me maybe what I don't know. Eight hours. Two hours ago. Two hours. Yeah, somewhere between <laughs> two and six days. hours before we start to record and goes, hey, can we, uh, can we watch some uh, you know, late 90s ghost documentary stuff too? And I was like, okay, sure. You know, I got, I got nothing going on. <laughs> and here we are throwing into, very appropriately, which I do like the connection uh, between these two things, America's Haunted Houses. <laughs> I love it. I love it so goddamn much. All right. Ghost cat. Ghost cat. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ghost Cat. Ghost Cat. 
Ghost Cat is possibly the dumbest thing ever, and I kind of love it for that reason. Um, like I said, folks, like, if, like okay, and this is kind of like how like, I'm going to at least tie these two things together. I don't mind stupid. I don't mind highbrow. But you got to at least be forward with what your intent is. Yes. Yes. Um, that's my problem. I don't like misleading people because if you mislead people, it inherently puts a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Even if it's an overall positive experience, it's just the idea like, oh, it's just – it's it's peculiar. Um, but no, the context for this. Okay. America's Haunted Houses is another nostalgia fuel thing for me. Um, I think I might have touched on this at some point. I don't know. I told the story a couple times. I, I don't know if it's ever been recorded for the podcast. Oh, real quick. Um, wait, before we do this transition, which we're in, uh, can you just say – because I have a quote for this one too. Can you say you're Zach? Can you say I'm Zach? <laughs> Robin Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities to discuss any media that is too bizarre and normal or all kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally these projects gel. Most times they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I do have a belief now that there's something in this house. <laughs> 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 okay, well, well, we've just broken new ground. We have a bonus episode inside of an episode. This is great. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, okay, America's Haunted Houses. Context. This was a documentary that aired on the Discovery Channel sometime in the late 90s. Um, it was clearly the predecessor to, like, my, again, I want to say fast, like, morbid fascination with, like, the paranormal and the cult before like things like real scary stories Mm -hmm. um as a child these sort of things like these sort of specials just freak the ever-living daylights out of me sure um like like, (laughs) (laughs) stop saying ghost cat Um, ghost cat is just like the goofiest thing ever and i I, again i love it so much Yeah, wait till we get to uh, reading from the Wikipedia page on Ghost Cat. <laughs> oh, God. Ghost Cat. Ghost Cat. Uh, <laughs> um, no. So, like, I, I, I don't even know if this is related to this special, but I have this very, very vivid memory, memories of watching Discovery Channel back in, like, I want to say the late 90s, early 2000s. And I remember being – again, this is two memories, but for the sake of the story, I'm kind of merging them into one. Sure. The first part memories that I remember – okay, this is, involves the geography of where I live in Florida. Um, I think I've shown Rob pictures of the house in Florida a couple times. Um, the house was split into two different parts. Okay. There was a pool in the middle of the house, and there was one portion of the house that was – for the most part, the house that – or the portion that we all kind of lived in – it was where my bedroom was, my mother's bedroom was, which was the master's bedroom, the living room, the kitchen. Pretty much all the day-to-day living went on, went, it was involved on that side of the house. Then we had the other side of the house. 
And that is where my father lived. Um, that's where his bedroom was. There was like he had his own little like mini living room. There was a mini kitchen. It was where my mother's office was. And it was where my father's office was. And that's also where the garage was attached. But because that wasn't the part of the house that I lived in primarily, I, for some reason, it just had this weird sort of just like spooky vibe to it as a kid like nothing ever happened there like the house was built like in 1990 um nothing spooky happened it was okay. just being an adolescent did um, you have so- cats back then <laughs> yeah, that's what he did rough oh the cats the cats weren't allowed on that side of the house though. oh because of the ghost cat gotcha i'm with you okay keep going sorry to interrupt <laughs> god damn it rob god damn it um so yes ghost cat um <laughs> So, <laughs> why do I feel like Rob and I's new thing now going forward? Like, even for like all of Monstober, it's just gonna be Ghost Cat. Let's make it the whole the theme of Monstober. We just discuss Ghost Cat movies. Can we even find m- more than two of those? Do they exist? Isn't there like the Disney movie, like the Cat from Outer Space? Like, can't that can't that oh. be included as Ghost Cat? Yeah, there's the cat from outer space. There's that damn cat. There's there's cats, which is a Monstover movie, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Isn't there also a Stephen King like movie, like like the cat from like like, like I, I think I have the movie. It's in with like my King of oh, Horror collection. Yes, yes. You're also making me think of you might have just solidified one of our Goosebumps episode this year. The cry of the cat. There we go. <laughs> See, it's it's all connected. Um, it's all connected. Um. <laughs> this is gonna be great because when I do the write up for like the show notes, I was like, do, "Like, what what nonsense do we talk about that's barely related to the movie?" It's gonna be so much ghost cat in there. You're gonna be like, "I don't think the others has a cat in it." <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh, if if the movie had a cat in it, it'd be a ten out of ten. Oh, yes, like right, Rob? Yes. Like, like 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 if the others had ghost cat, it'd be like okay, like slam dunk. Yeah, I I think I gave it like a four out of five. Uh, it would be a five out six out of five if we had a ghost cat. Absolutely. <laughs> It'd be Ghost Cat out of five. Ghost Cat out of five. Ghost, Ghost Cat, Cat is a new is a numerical figure right now. It's an <laughs> integer. Um, all right. So, no, but but getting getting back to the the crux of the story was that like the I I remember my father had again like Rob knew my father very passively, but knew how he was as an individual. And so like on the other side of the house, you had this living room. It was just like the other side of the house was spooky. I remember, like, watching... Ah! Ghost cat! Ghost oh, cat shit! It's ghost cats in the podcast! <laughs> oh, God. Ghost cat. No, so, like, on the other side of the house, you... Like, he had this little TV that was definition of ancient. Like, it didn't have a remote control. It had, like, a dial. You had to, like, ah. physically get up. Sure. Or in my father's case, he had, like... A, a, a stick with a little rubber knobby at the end. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so it gave like some level of dexterity for trying to like change the volume or turn it, like turn the TV off. Um, so like, I remember being over there and watching something on discovery channel and it like transitioned, like, like the program, whatever the initial program I was watching ended and it transitioned into a special on my greatest phobia of all time until just recently the Elephant Man. Ah, okay, okay. And, and, and this was a Discovery Channel, like, special. Mm-hmm. Um, back when Discovery Channel wasn't just like, oh, God, I don't even know what Discovery Channel is now. Just Shark Week. It's like, it's, it's funny. Like, every time you'll see, like, the marketing for Shark Week, and I'm just like, 
isn't that just like all year round now? <laughs> I'm like, isn't isn't it Shark Year? Like, 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 why are we celebrating something that happens on a daily basis? It's like, sure. getting excited because the day of the week ends in Y. It's yeah. like, I, I, I'm confused, but what do I know? So, basically, like that was kind of the thing. Like when it came to Discovery Channel documentaries, they kind of freaked me out. And this is the second part of that memory. So I remember, like after that happened. Like the elephant man thing, like I turned it off. I remember like telling my mother, I think I went back to my mother and she's like, oh, like, like did so-and-so end or what are you doing now? And I'm like, yeah, they're talking about the elephant man. And she, I remember her to this day vividly saying, I don't want you watching that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, or, or you shouldn't be watching that. So again, like a yeah. like definition of like cautionary wording from a parent. And that's the thing. I was like, oh, I'm like, okay. And again, I didn't pay that much mind to. It was just like how the intro began. It was very – like I'd love to go back and actually find this documentary now. It's got to exist somewhere. Elephant Man, like late 90s, like like Discovery Channel sure, documentary. Yeah. Um, if we ever do our Elephant Man discussion like on, the, like on the David Lynch film, I'll definitely try digging that up. Okay. But like – so anyway though, like so I remember there was another – Another documentary on the Discovery Channel. I promise, folks, this is going to tie into the uh, the spooky the documentary. ghost cat. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yes, ghost cat. Um, that like I remember being in my mother's room. It was like a rainy day. It was like definition of just like spooky weather. It was like overcast. It was like that weird time of day when it rains. Where like it's like five six p.m. So like it's dusk mixed with overcast weather. So like it's really like really ominous outside and i remember like i was watching like my mother like i think went out for like a smoke break and then like the program changed at the top of the hour and it went from something that her and i were watching to a documentary on like conjoined twins and i will and i will never like as like a six seven year old i will never forget like how this thing began it was conjoined brothers like as adults like walking down the street with two heads and literally i think i just ran out of the room that's i think freaked I, me I, out when i was young too like hardcore like there's what that that very i think i think it's like infamously um like a, a nickelodeon uh of are you afraid of the dark movie about like conjoined twins or conjoined twins that are separated and one dies or something and it, that's like that stuff scared the shit out of me <laughs> oh yeah like that's the thing that like I, i've told people like again rob knows going back to like my elephant man phobia is that like like i can handle like jason Voorhees, like all this stuff like that's like again that's fiction i cannot fathom things that are real sure. like that's the thing that's scary like you cannot like put it out of your mind because that's something that actually exists mm-hmm. and i'm just so like i see this i run out of the room and it's just like one of those things that just spooks me to no goddamn end sure um human deformity is just like like it's not as bad now as it once was, but it will always get under my skin. No, absolutely, and I think we also know it's um it's not. I, I think I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. You don't like human deformity. I don't either. But it even extends to the sense of humanism deformities. Remember we talked about the uh, the people have dog heads but human hands that type of stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I, I, not to get into that because we're going on basically a treasure trove of, of my traumatized childhood. <laughs> um, but like yes. It goes back to even the Sesame Street thing that drove me nuts with the dogs, with the human hands. And that was, like, God, that was the predecessor to the Elephant Man phobia. Like, yeah, I remember, like, my, yeah. I remember my mother, I, I, everybody knew that, like, when that came on Sesame Street, I literally couldn't run out of the room fast enough. Don't mess with the human body. It'll scare Zach. So I think yes. th- our audience knows us very nicely, or, or knows our weaknesses. Don't mess with the human body. You'll scare the shit out of Zach. Don't make dolls move. You'll scare the shit out of Rob. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. If someone ever do like another remake of uh, the, the the was it the Dark Crystal, 
and they have like human <laughs> like, like human deformity mixed with elfling. It's like that's how you that's how you bring cinematis to an end, folks. That's the cinematis <laughs> kryptonite. But no, so like getting back to America's Haunted Houses, that documentary, I don't have a specific memory as to when I was introduced to this. All I know is that it was kind of in the soup of that same like time period. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching I, – I, I, you know I can't tell you the first time I watched this. I very vividly remember the moments of this of having like the old woman walking like through the corridors of the hotel and having like the – what do you want to call it? Paranormal researchers like quote-unquote – chasing after sure, her sure um that sort of stuff just because again like to like a six-year-old you're like what is going on right now it's like, like you cannot mentally differentiate this is fake and this isn't oh yeah and they're doing it is like what of of uh of the few praises i have for this this america's haunted houses because this is not my cup of tea this is much more zach's cup of tea i love that they don't just make these these spirits or ghosts completely translucent like they they start as actual people and then they like you know do the double exposure to get them to fade out and that's a really neat thing where i feel like when we've seen you know in unsolved mysteries they always have like oh you start seeing them and you can see through them somewhat they're always ghostly this plays there's that glow. realism there's, always a, gl- there's yeah, a glow the glow as well mystery. that the in in america's haunted houses none of these i think it's the old woman that you mentioned and also the um the civil war soldier they never glow. They're always people that fade away into nothingness. And that's some spooky shit. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then even like you get a moment right before like, – because again, I, I have this as like something I taped off of TV because I should say that this special I got until like I got rid of cable last year always showed up on like different forms of just like whether it be Discovery Channel, Travel Channel, Destination America – TLC, mm-hmm. this special never went away. Okay. As of like, even, I would say, even as of 2019, this thing still showed up on cable television. It just never went away. Okay. Um, and so periodically, like, I'd, I'm talking like maybe once every like seven to eight years, it would show up and it would just catch my eye because I always wanted to record because I, I, it was one of those things that would just kind of, sh- it would blindside me. It would show up out of nowhere and I'd always get to it. Like at the tail end, and I'd be like, ah, and I'm like, I, I, I want to see this thing in its entirety. So that's what happened. When eventually I finally found out the full name of this thing and realized it was on Amazon, I'm like, Rob, can you get this for me? And Rob obviously obliged. And probably it was the first time I'd ever seen this thing in its entirety. Oh, okay. Um, because like I know even to this day, like the Alcatraz stuff is the stuff that I'm the least familiar with because like I have almost no memory of that of Alcatraz from this special. Everything else is usually post the Winchester Mansion stuff. Sure, um, but no. But getting back to the point that you were getting at, like kind of like these like spooky specter figures, that like a lot of the stuff in this documentary just freaked me out as a kid because of just how what's the word matter of fact it portrays it all. Yes, Ma- matter of fact in the retelling of the stories, and then another thing, a big part of this. Uh, is the the paranormal investigator side of it, and they play that stuff completely straight. Whereas I think you know uh, this, of course, made me think back to when we did some of the the ghost slash psychic stuff in Unsolved Mysteries, where there was always a little level of funny slash goofiness to that stuff. This is just like we are scientists, and it's like okay, they're they're taking it seriously. That's exactly, and that's the thing where Unsolved Mysteries always at least pushed back a little bit whether it be through robert stack's narration or some of the questions they're asking these people 
and and they're putting them on the defensive. They're making them kind of like put up an argument. Mm-hmm. This is just like, like is selling this as fact. Yeah, yeah, and that was one of the this, things that even though I once again, like I said, this isn't this stuff isn't my cup of tea. This study of the supernatural or whatever, but this took itself so seriously that it almost made me think like, oh, I'm watching a serious documentary about the you know etymology of of ghosts and things like that it's like i told zach a few um weeks ago i watched the movie troll hunter and i love that the middle part of troll hunter is a serious study of what trolls could be and this is kind of that same thing i have a certain respect of like the academic nature that this puts forth yeah but to a six-year-old that's terrifying (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah you don't have robert stack you know after they do the whole thing about um the woman who could you know sweat gold foil it cuts back to robert stack and he's like, a miraculous woman or just a bunch of assholes? <laughs> we'll find <laughs> out next week or whatever the hell he'd say, you know? It always undercut it where this is just like you could get lost. Like I got lost in the others thinking about the atmosphere and stuff. You could get lost in this and be like, huh, maybe maybe I do want those ghost hunters to do a control study to uh, on electromagnetic fields, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> exactly. And the thing about it is that when this documentary has levity – it's levity that's very much to to a child grounded in reality. Yes, yeah. And that's like, so so like you'll have that moment toward like it's right before a commercial break where you'll have the 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 woman the old woman dancing with the civil war general yeah. in the ballroom and that just looks 100% real. Oh yeah. Into a into a 6-year-old and like it's it's a static camera shot very like candid just like like fly on the wall and that is the spookiest goddamn thing in the world Sure. definition of the spookiest thing in the world to me at least even you know i know you're talking about your childhood a lot uh, uh, something you know that that really kind of was getting to me when i watched this today the um when they go to the or they interview whoever at the um i think it's the lilydale assembly like, the, the community of people who all believe in, you know, like, contacting the afterlife and things like that, and you sit a woman down, they're interviewing her, and she's saying things like, you know, there is no death, just different forms of living, and I've talked to dead people before, and they come across to me as regular people, and she says, they look like flesh people to me, and I'm like, that is such a weird way to talk about this that it unnerves me. <laughs> yeah. Like, but I, I, one thing I will say, though... Because, like, moments like that had no effect on me as a child because, like, it's okay. just a person talking. Yeah, like, yeah. To a six-year-old, it's the idea of, once again, of seeing is believing. Yes. So that sort of thing just kind of, like, went right over my head. But the thing – like I said, the things that get my attention are those spooky reenactments. That's when, like, it's like, oh, oh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's like it, – it becomes unnerving. Um, because even like some of the stuff it does with like Alcatraz, like the Alcatraz stuff is very, again, like I said, very straightforward. I, there's a different. I, I want to say for the audience at home, there is a difference between matter of fact and straightforward. Yes, something can be matter of fact, but also with a high level of like veneer and angle to it. Yeah, I, I would say a great example for our our listeners is um m- my description of Monkey Bone in our Monkey Bone episode. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So, but then you get the moments in this documentary where they're talking about, like, um, like Rob said, the, the 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 spiritual camp or thing, and it's like, oh, and the woman goes through the entire kind of thing about, oh, this 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 and that, oh, that that. That is very different than the stuff about, like, oh, I saw this specter 
And like even at the very end, like I remember for the longest time when I was a child and like, you know, like kids all the time get into fights about things like, oh, no, like this isn't real or, oh, yeah, this is real. Sure. Yeah. Like I would get into fights with people my own age about like ghosts and stuff. And I would always point to the last segment in this when they're walking through the little hotel that has the like creek running through it. Sure. <laughs> and I would be like, no, ghosts are real. Like I remember like telling my father, my father, cause like my father was a definition of someone who was just like a skeptic when it came to anything beyond just the physical realm. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, no dad, like ghosts are real. And he's like, okay, where's the proof? I'm like, there's a TV special where it shows a woman walking with a ghost and she's talking to them. And, 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 and the and others that... exist. Nicole Kidman's a ghost the whole time. How could they make a movie about a ghost if she wasn't real? It's like Nicole Kidman wouldn't lie to us, Dad. She wouldn't lie to us. Um, and that's the thing. So, like, I, I, I believe this hook, line, and sinker. Sure. Um, and so like you would like, and that's the thing, like you would jump around, like that's thing about this documentary, it just jumps around like definition of pinball. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we might be, um, you know, mis misconstruing or misrepresenting the, uh, the idea of the ghost cat as much as we love that in this episode, the ghost cat is like a brief mention in this episode, this, this uh, documentary. <laughs> Like, it's almost, like, if you think about, like, all the different paranormal legends that exist in, like, American pop culture, and to be fair, that sort of thing has exploded in the last, like, 20 years since this thing, like, since this documentary was produced, but, like, the Mothman, Mm. the Chupacabra. Yes. Bigfoot. Like, the list goes on and on and on. And if you look up Ghost Cat, like... (laughs) Ghost cat is like like bottom of the barrel. Absolutely, to yeah. paranormal, and like don't and like. And I think that's the sort of thing that like lends charm to this documentary versus like other things of this ilk. Is that like no other like unsolved mysteries is not devoting a five minute special to ghost cat. Exactly, they're just they're just they're just not. But the fact that this documentary kind of like stops what it's doing and does like and does its own little like thirty second piece, it's like oh, there's this go- like and Rob will insert the clip because he has to at this point. <laughs> the most haunted room in the Capitol is said to be Statuary Hall, once the chamber of the House of Representatives. Visitors report hearing the voice of John Quincy Adams passionately debating the issues of the day, and former guards claim that late one night. The statues came to life and danced a ghostly minuet. But the most alarming story is of a demonic cat that appears in the sub-basement of the Capitol near the tomb built for George Washington. The cat's appearance has foreshadowed national tragedies like the death of FDR in 1945 and the assassination of John F. Kennedy in 1963. History books describe John Bell's 19th century Tennessee farm as a battleground between good and evil. It's like, oh, there's this ghost or like there's this cat that stalks the perimeter of Washington, D.C. That is a harbinger of doom of uh, things, this, 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 this and that. And then like you do like research on ghost cat and it's like this weird sort of legend in Washington, D.C. that hasn't been like actively discussed or seen in almost a hundred years. Like the last documented, like what site sighting of the ghost cat 
is what 1945 and and that's it and like and like and you look at like the actual like records of this thing and it's like yeah apparently like the watchman of like the late 19th century got drunk and one of them like passed out and like saw a cat it's and the that's funniest like- goddamn thing like one i am so happy like this is a du- this is a double-sided happiness and thanks to zach that you know he, he made me watch the others which i thoroughly enjoyed and then informed me that there is a wikipedia page titled demon cat <laughs> about the ghost cat we've been discussing and you are absolutely right okay okay it's demon cat but it's abbreviated dc, DC. <laughs> because saying demon cat is a little too wordy it's dc yes yeah of course you know demon cat too many syllables jesus <laughs> but you are you when you sent me the um the snapshot of the wikipedia page which uh, zach said before we started recording is a work of art everybody should look up demon cat on wikipedia the picture they use is so fucking funny and, <laughs> and then i went to it and i was diving into the actual fairly small wikipedia page for it and i read exactly what you you said that they think the explanation for the ghost cat is that when, you know, they were hiring unqualified people to be, like, a capital police force, they would frequently be drunk on patrol, and they think the legend started when someone who was drunk woke up and saw a cat in front of their face, like the cat, like, licked them or did something to wake them up and things like that. And then it even goes on further, which I find so wildly fascinating, that when... When the drunk person told this, his supervisor at the ghost cat, the ghost cat uh, caused such a stir in the community that anybody who encountered it would get a day off of work. So multiple people were telling their supervisors they saw the ghost cat so they could go home and get drunker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a self-perpetuating it's legend. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I'm, I, so I didn't know, I never expected that one, this movie, or the Fort Year, or the others, would lead me down the route of my my next kind of in the pantheon of Cinemodity's great animals. We got the Miracle Buffalo, and we got the Ghost Cat. <laughs> <laughs> ghost Cat. Ghost Cat. <laughs> I do, uh, Rob, may I give a, a slight peek behind the curtain when it comes to Cinemodity's in our personal lives? Uh, ghost Cat? <laughs> yes, Ghost Cat. It does involve Ghost Cat. Or okay. it will involve Ghost okay. Cat. All right. Rob knows that this is like a couple months ago. Like someone did like a fan art photography thing of a Jar Jar Banks action figure. And it was like Jar Jar Banks like 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 as like a homeless person like on the streets oh, of just yeah. insert yeah. Star Wars town here. And I was so, so enamored with this imagery that I actually like got it like made as like artwork to hang on a wall. Sure. I'm letting Rob know right now. I, the screenshot I took of Ghost Cat of the Wikipedia article, I am going to do the exact same thing with that. And I'm going to hang it on my wall. Like, it is art. Like, like, at the end of the day, it is art. It's really fucking funny. <laughs> that Wikipedia article, man, between just the title, the like the web banner, and the picture of the cat just, like, like, like peeking over the ledge. It looks it's, like it's, the cat version of Kilroy was here. That's how ridiculous it looks. <laughs> Like, like, it's insane. Like, it's genuinely insane. Um, like, the comedic value. Like, whoever did this, like, like, I would love to go through, like, the edit history of the Wikipedia article and find out whoever, like, the person is at Wikipedia who did this and just be like, can we interview you? Like, do you, do you realize you're brilliant, right? Like, has anyone ever told you you're brilliant? Because you are. <laughs> 
It's so goddamn. It's crazy. This. The, how did we get to the others and, and Ghost Cat? What? What? This is great. This Ghost is, Cat. This Ghost is the episode Cat. we submit to uh, the what the Peabody Awards or something. <laughs> oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Not the um, AI discussion of, of of grand things. Not the monkey bone. My entire thesis on this: the Ghost Cat episode. <laughs> It's perfect. It's delightful. It's um, but no. But getting back to this documentary, because again, like I said, it just it pinball. I, I have to ask uh, when Rob inserts the clip. I hope he inserts like maybe like thirty seconds to a minute before whatever the previous like topic is, and then like maybe thirty seconds to a minute of the following topic, just to show how fast this thing just pinballs sure, around topic sure. wise, um, because. Like it gets around, but like it, it'll get around on different topics, but it'll also harp or focus on certain things, like in almost relatively speaking, excruciating detail. Yes, yes. I, I like think it spends the... almost an absurd amount of time on the Winchester Mansion. Oh yeah, that. So that's the thing is that you know when I when I fire this up and I'm watching it, you know it starts with Alcatraz. My immediate first thought is I'm like I'm like Alcatraz isn't really a house, um, but whatever, it's famous, you know. <laughs> and then and then Alcatraz is pretty quick. It gets uh, to the Winchester House. It spends a lot more time on there because I think Winchester House is probably more interesting um, in construction than you know Alcatraz. Then they go to the Lilydale Assembly. Then they go to New Orleans which is certainly not a house. New Orleans, the city, is not one house. They just cover many houses in it. And I remember, like, going through all this, and by the point when they get to, like, the um, the, the hotel in New Orleans, I think the Bourbon Hotel and stuff like that, I'm like, man, they've went through a lot of things, and they're getting at the... Um, the, the Society for Inquiry, or, or maybe that's not it. It's one of the, the Ghost Hunters Foundations. I'm like, they've touched on a lot of stuff. I'm like, is this, is this almost over? And I check the timestamp, and it's like 18 minutes out of 45. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, there's a lot more that has to go, you know, that type of thing. So I'm with you. This, this, has, this is a jam-packed 44 minutes of ghost stuff. Yeah, you, you get your bang for your buck. Um, New Orleans is not we, – we do agree. New Orleans is not a house, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but like it, it's easily one of the most like spooky. Like, like if you want that sort of just like macabre yes, ghosty stuff, yeah. that is a hotbed for. Because they do the um, what they do the like the hotel we mentioned. They do the um, uh, I believe her name is Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen that they talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're talking about like places in New Orleans. They're talking about the concept of New Orleans. It's kind of it's it is really interesting. You know, I I love me my unsolved mysteries and mysteries of the museum talking about this stuff. It's just like it, they they only really start to slow down when they look at the paranormal investigators and the um, the ESP investigators, I think. Yeah. Oh, no, definitely. I agree with you on there. Um, and like that's the thing, though, is that like I, – because I really don't have – like this is the thing. Like I know for years now, like I know Rob and I have like – well, more I have talked and Rob's kind of pushed back against it kind of very like subtly – like this, I've always wanted to talk about this, but I never felt it could support its own like episode because yeah. it's not. Other than like almost dissecting it like sequence by sequence, you couldn't discuss this. Um, that's why I figure it's a, it's a nice little tie into the others. But the overall thing with this documentary is that like, would you call this unique, Rob? Like, like I don't know. Like, like that's like, I'm so like I have such a history with this. Like we're talking about like twenty plus histories with this documentary. So at this point, I kind of feel like I'm so biased. I can't get an objective read on it um like how would you describe this documentary like in a sense of like when it comes to like almost critically speaking like is it objectively good um does it like like, what is even the goal of this documentary like is it meant to be informative is it meant to be because like i there's so much going on in this i don't know 
what the producer's intent is. I, I, I'm glad you asked that because that's something I was thinking about where in that first like maybe 10 to 15 minutes when you have Alcatraz, the Winchester house, that type of stuff – I'm just kind of like, okay, this seems to me that, you know, it's um, something in the realm of a real scary stories of an unsolved mysteries that I know Zach likes. And this is another thing in that in that just grab bag of of we're doing different tales from different places, that type of thing. But once it gets into the paranormal investigation stuff and leans on that very heavily, I start to think that's what they're going for. And in the sense of just going to different places and telling their stories, this is not unique because unsolved mysteries was around before 1998. When it gets into studying or following the study of ghost hunting, that's where I kind of think, like, is this the, f- the the lead up to, like, you know, ghost hunters that we have in the more modern era? Those, you know, like the, um, the, the more paranormal search for shows that exist now on Discovery and Travel Channel and thing like, things like that. Because I don't really know, other than Unsolved Mysteries, that I've seen a lot of things that are just about the search for the paranormal – from this time period or earlier, it's what I'm used to. Is you know the um that that dude I can't remember his name the the ghost hunters Zach Backins? guy Z- Zach yes Backins. yeah the the ghost hunters guy like I think of that modern era I think of the um like the Sasquatch hunters or something like that that's another Bobo Bobo <laughs> sure and that was his name Bobo and I I feel like you know this is something that might be with my limited knowledge unique in the sense that it is trying to showcase what paranormal investigators do because it's not just like unsolved mysteries once again what i've seen from that that you sent me you know when we did all that that series on unsolved mysteries they would go to a place that's haunted and they have a paranormal investigator and they just say this is a paranormal investigator this is what they do this is what they use it was just kind of like a facet of the story they were telling where this really gets into like this is the technology we use. This is the studies that we do. This is why we're doing these things. And it seemed a little more, like I said before, academic about the paranormal than I've ever seen. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there with academic. Maybe I, I want to take that kind of like dial that back one more step to say more informative. Sure. sure. Because like, again, like I don't want to get too far into like beliefs of the paranormal, but like these people for the most part are charlatans. <laughs> like how the, like, I, yeah. I, I said, and, that, and that's not to argue with anyone's idea of like the afterlife, but just these these paranormal investigators, quote unquote, like their level of assurance is too far. OK, OK, I see what you're saying. And it feels like a level of like charlatan. Like I said, like they're like because I guess they're walking around like this. I don't even know what it is at the end of the documentary. Is it a hotel? Is it a restaurant with a little like creek flowing through it? Yeah, some type and of like resort, it seems. Yeah. There exactly. And that's the thing. They are those paranormal act- like investigators at that point are selling it as like, okay, this is concrete. Yes. Yes. And I don't care how much you believe in all this stuff. It's not concrete. It's not. There's a level like when it comes to anything like when like in the afterlife. Like I don't care how much you believe in it, there is that level of faith. And I don't mean yeah. that like in a religious sense. I mean that like just in the idea that like okay, there is something beyond the physical realm. Yeah, and belief it, belief without evidence, definitely. Exactly, and they sell it way too as like this is concrete, mm-hmm. and that's my weird thing. Of, I mean, I think this is why this documentary became so unnerving for me as a child. Is that everything in it sells itself as concrete? Because even the reenactments are very, like I said, fly on the wall, matter yes. of fact. Yeah. It's not until the very end we have this very, very peculiar, almost like jarring sequence where we have the hitchhiker that gets into the car and 
they drive away and the hitchhiker is still standing there. Yep. And that like you're like, oh, like what are you getting at? Like yeah. it's like yeah. what are you getting at here? It's not until that moment where it becomes a little bit more like, oh, this is a little bit more far out. Um and I think that's the thing about this documentary as to why I find it like I said, I, I, I like I said, I'm too far into it to kind of – I'm too much into the weeds of it all to give any sort of objective stance on it. But like I, I just find it – as a child, I found it unnerving. And to this day, I find it unique. Like would you call this unique, Rob? In in comparison to the other things of this – in this vein of this nature that I have watched because you have made me watch them, uh, <laughs> I would say yes. This, sta- this is a standout where it's kind of – once again, not my cup of tea, but it stands out in the sense that – there, it's it's going for a different, I don't know, a, a different temperature, a different climate about ghost stories that I'm used to. Like that's the thing. Like there's, and this goes back to what like the Discovery Channel, the Learning Channel once were, like in the late '90s, early 2000s, before it became just like the like, oh god. Um, like I birthed a baby and I wasn't aware of it and, and like my like 45 pound tumor, like like it was back. We're like, okay, we're going to give you a very, what technical, like you said, academic. Yeah. Technical is another, maybe, maybe this is a good way to put it from my perspective is that, you know, when I watch this, it's this 44 minute long thing. Of course, you know, Zach and I gravitate towards ghost cat because it's played so strangely in this, but you know, I, I think of like, I'm watching this and I'm like, this is interesting. You know, they're telling some stories. Or now they got paranormal investigators that are speaking very professionally about what they're doing. I, I'm I'm in a certain, like I said, temperature, climate, you know, mood. This this draws me into such a mood that when I watch it, I'm kind of looking at the screen, you know, rubbing my chin, going, mm-hmm, okay. I might not agree with what you're saying, but you're saying something I should listen to. Compare that to the first segment I watched from Unsolved Mysteries in preparation for our series on that. It was about that that woman who wants to ride to the cemetery. My immediate thought was, as Zach remembers my notes, ghost bitch wants free rides. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the temperature of these two things are completely different. The mood of them are completely different, at least what it puts me in as the viewer from the immediate onset. I think it's entertainment versus informative. Yes, yeah. And I think that's the thing that makes this always unique to me because you don't – like, that does not – there's no such thing as paranormal informative anymore. Yeah. It just it, – it doesn't exist. It's like it, maybe this was always an oddity in that regard in the late 90s because like we said, even Unsolved Mysteries, there was a level of just what? Entertainment level to exactly. it? Exactly, yeah. And that's the thing. Like the, the informative nature comes first and the entertainment level is almost like, what, a fringe to it all? Yeah, whereas I think you made a good point with the more modern one, like the Ghost Hunters or the um, you know Searching for Sasquatch, that type of stuff. Those always boil down to, well, let's get a jump scare in, cut to commercial break, and then when you come back, you realize that nothing actually happened in the entire show, but people seem to watch it, you know? The, the entertainment is on the forefront, once again. Exactly. Um, and I think that's why this particular documentary, never mind my personal... I don't want to say nostalgia because like it, it, this this kind of falls into the same realm as like Eraserhead, where I'm like, to this day, I'm very very hard pressed to say that I like it. Sure, because like it's kind of, it goes back to the old adage of like, you can't really like something that unnerves you. Like those are those are conflicting notions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found this provocative. Okay, sure. 
Sure. And I think, like I said, very much this is the foundation. That's why I've always wanted to talk about it. I'm glad the uh, if anything I got from this discussion, the others gave me the venue to talk about it. Sure. Because, like I said, I do think this is the foundation for my entire just grasp of things that are outside of this realm, mm-hmm. whether you believe it or not. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. And that's, that's always cool. And I know, like, this is um this is one of the better ones, even though, like I said, this is not the stuff I'm usually into. And I think I, I gravitated towards some of the medium slash psychic and ghost stories of Unsolved Mysteries because of the goofiness. Uh, I Now I'm just thinking that, you know, the... um. The, the unsolved mysteries ghost bitch wants free rides now i'm thinking of the others as ghost bitch wants free house <laughs> <laughs> but i'm very i'm very upset nicole kidman is not a ghost bitch well she kind of is in this movie <laughs> or that movie okay. this is a different episode i'm sorry <laughs> okay but just getting back to some of the seconds like this is my only chance to talk about america's haunted houses um just talking about like like okay this thing i'm kind of curious with rob's opinion is and unless we talk about the Helen Mirren movie based on the Winchester Mansion, I don't oh, think we'll ever. Di- yeah. I don't think we'll ever discuss the Winchester Mansion in any form sure. beyond this. I've never seen that movie, but I, of course I know all about the lore of the Winchester House for sure. Sure, I remember when that movie was announced. It's like, oh god, like they're making a Winchester Mansion movie, like with like like I forget what her first name is Winchester, like in Helen Mirren's like portraying her. I'm like, mm-hmm. like this has the potential to be like really good sure and like you read the reviews you're like oh like helen mirren's just in this for a paycheck and it's like god <laughs> damn it like what a goddamn waste but like this is my question though rob is somebody who i think has a very uh how would you frame this a very rob doesn't believe in this sort of stuff what is are you assuming opinion? that I don't believe in ghosts because I also don't believe in dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think ghosts Rob's... are further down than dinosaurs? <laughs> no, but I remember like Rob was very like, – in high school made it very, very evident and clear that he was like agnostic-minded. Yes. Um, I don't know how much of that has changed since like 2009. But like when it comes to like put like, looking at this sort of thing under the the lens of the Winchester Mansion, what is your explanation for any of this? Is this just a disturbed individual with a lot of money? That's how I've always taken it. That there is um, a level of paranoia mixed with guilt of of the Winchester family, and I think it's Sarah Winchester. But like I said, yes, 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 I yes, think yes, it's Sarah. Correct. And you know, so there's a level of paranoia, guilt. And finances, I think, is the best way to put it, like you just said, that that leads to something this insane. Because I guess, you know, if, if anyone is not familiar with the basic premise of the Winchester Mansion, um, it is built as a maze to confuse ghosts, which is <laughs> a very bold thing. I, I've always been— uh, can, you I, can, can you repeat that again? Can you say that again? Like, that, win- was a, that, was a beautiful, that was a beautifully crafted statement. <laughs> that the Winchester Mansion is built like a maze to confuse ghosts? <laughs> that, that is a beautiful— Beautiful sentence, Rob. Like, Isn't that, that is a just very like... bold belief that you can confuse an ethereal figure with physical construction? <laughs> I I don't care about whether it's, okay. it's something that exists in the real world. That's just a beautiful concept. And yeah, you phrased yeah. it so eloquently, it needed to be repeated twice for the audience. At I all. think no, you actually make a good point. Is why I think a Winchester movie could have been really cool because that premise is bug nuts awesome. You know, <laughs> it is. Um, but I, that's what I think it is, is that, you know, you have to have some level of uh, craziness slash genius to have that thought, you know, to physically construct a house that will, that ghosts will get lost in. Because if, 
anybody thinks of ghosts, you know, even in, in the others, it's like they they wear sheets and have chains, and you would think of the common tropes that, well, they can phase through walls and stuff. What the hell's a maze gonna do? Like, a ghost is gonna find a dead end and go, damn! No haunting tonight, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> may I may I pitch an idea for a movie? Uh, ghost Cat, yes. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, Ghost Cat. Like, that, like, that's first and foremost. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, $200 million budget, here we go. Um, someone get Mark Cuban on the horn. If Adam Sandler and his little trope of just, like, has been, like, like washed-up SNL actors yep. has not thought about doing a Winchester Mansion movie like as the ghost uh... and not just as the like this is my thing I would love love a Winchester Mansion movie and you have all the Sandler what do you want to call it cast of like like oh, what would you call that I'm not cast the gang um, yeah the gang there's a uh, stable sure um, sure uh, there, there's a word for it. I, I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head right now I would love them playing dual roles, not just as the specters, but also as like the contractors, engineers, and architects. Oh, so you'd make it more about the um, the construction of the house along with the haunting of it, yeah. Both, and I would and like and whoever plays Sarah Winchester would be obviously like stunt casting. Sure, you would get you would get somebody that you would never figure that would like be in that role. Would be like, whoa, like this is just like again Drew Barrymore and Scream level. Yeah, um, just something really like you get like a really out of left field choice. Um, if that hasn't been an idea that's been pitched in the Billy Madison offices, <laughs> they sure. are not earning their money. I'm like just like I'm like that is just a million dollar premise. Like like that's like that's like I think oh god I have a very sheltered like like understanding of life or like i tell like people like oh where do you want to visit i'm like disney world you know like after that disneyland world (laughs) 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 pretty much um like one of the very few pieces like uh places i would love to see is the actual like winchester mansion i would just love to see that because i've seen like again whether it be i think there was a real scary story segment like based out of there i would love to see that just in like in reality because i've just heard so much about it over the years um, this documentary being kind of like the like the foundation for it. Yeah, it's a it's. I'm with you there. I mean, the the Winchester Mansion is one of those things that you know, regardless of why it exists, it's a physical construction, you know, physically constructed thing that you can see. It's just of innate interest to me, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's an inexplicable. Oh God, like if it, if this was like years ago, you'd call it like an an X. Uh, wonder of the world yeah yeah exactly i would i it's in there i i feel like we've talked about this throughout the entirety of our friendship in this podcast there's just some weird shit in the world that is crazy like interesting to think about like the winchester mansion like the miracle buffalo like the 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 quran that's written entirely in saddam hussein's blood it's just like this is the weirdest shit and i'm just interested in that (laughs) like ghost cat like well yes ghost cat is uh, now, I want to pitch, actually, I like your idea about the Winchester Mansion. Um, I don't know what the premise of these movies would be, but a series of movies, but instead of, like, Ernest, it's Ghost Cat. So, like, <laughs> Ghost Cat, Ghost Cat 2, Ghost Cat goes to the Winchester Mansion, Goat Cat, Ghost Cat goes to Alcatraz, you know, the Ghost Cat of Alcatraz, something like that. <laughs> so, basically... The new version of Ernest is Ghost Cat. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We don't know Ghost Cat personally. Ghost Cat might be hilarious. Ghost Cat might be a, a leading screen presence, you know? <laughs> he might be. He might be. We have to get, like, what was that cat's name? Or was it Grumpy Cat? 
Oh, sure, Grumpy Cat. Yeah, absolutely. We need, we need to find the next Grumpy Cat, but he has to be a black cat. Oh, that's one of the later movies in the series. Uh, Ghost Cat goes to the internet apps and meets like Grumpy <laughs> Cat and Long Cat and all the different uh, I can has the cheeseburger vi- the, the, the and stuff viral, like that. The, the viral meme cat. <laughs> yes, yes. Ghost Cat wrecks the internet. <laughs> Oh, Ghost Cat, we love you. We hope Ghost you listen cat. to this podcast. <laughs> Ghost Cat, <laughs> beautiful. It, it's it's. If anything, the others discussion gave us Ghost Cat. Ghost Cat, yes. <laughs> the official, uh, oh god, like mascot of Monster. Ghost Cat. <laughs> no, I mean, so, oh, so the, the Winchester Mansion is a really interesting segment. Um, the the whole jumping around New Orleans, I feel like it goes too fast and then focuses on the um, the paranormal investigators for me to really get a sense of those places. I think I did want to ask you, because um, as you know from our discussion of Princess Diaries, I've, I've been to Alcatraz before, and I, I think I vaguely remember that, you know, they might have talked about something being haunted, and I'm sure there's like a Mysteries of the Museum thing about someone's cell that was haunted in Alcatraz. Is Alcatraz one of the ones that interests you, or is, have you never been too keen on Alcatraz? I, you I said don't care. earlier that it's, it was one you didn't remember, with the exception of the fact that uh, Ed Harris like holds a bunch of people hostage there and kills some Navy SEALs. <laughs> I have no interest in Alcatraz. Okay, okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's and actually, Rob, it's The Rock. Uh, sure. I mean, <laughs> I guess you're right. You're technically that's right. The Rock. But... That's The Rock. <laughs> um, no, Alcatraz. I don't. Like, it's funny. Like. like this is the thing, like, not to go too far off on the, like, paranormal, like, tangent, but considering like, it's probably my last avenue, will, like, I have on this sort of thing. Um, well, until you I've, learn Spanish and watch more on uh, Real Scary Stories, right? I think that's what we're waiting for. Oh, God. <laughs> real Scary Stories. Okay, I'm glad. Okay, I don't feel bad now for bringing this up. You're on the um, – Zach's on the Duolingo every day learning Spanish so we can watch Spanish riffs <laughs> of Real Scary Stories. <laughs> I'm like doing all those like 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 podcast ads you get for like learning a second language just so I can watch real scary stories like in Portuguese. Yeah, Zach somehow uh, found Muzzy in this day and age. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a ghost, ghost Muzzy. Jeez, I don't think they made those for years. <laughs> ghost Muzzy. Um, no, okay. Going back to our real scary stories discussion, which at this point I'm pretty sure like a third of all the like downloads for that are from actually myself. <laughs> um, like I say, I, I, I preface that discussion with, no matter how long this episode is, I will feel after the fact that I didn't do it justice. Yes. I've left a bunch of things out. Um, at some point, I think I told Rob this briefly like a couple of weeks ago, that in one of the segments, um, we talked about how there was like a teenage girl who's like at, I think it was like a Chicago, yeah. a Chicago Bayou or something not by you that's the wrong area but like a pond where the mob used to dump bodies and in this real story i think it's bachelor's grove i could be wrong okay but in this segment there is a young woman named larissa and it's her another female friend and a dude the dude is kind of the main character of the segment but rob and i may notice in this like segment that like this woman larissa who's i guess a teenager is unusually freaked out in this segment. Like okay. she comes across genuinely freaked out. And when Rob and I were kind of dise- trying to disseminate, like when it came to like what was real and real scary stories and what was staged or what was just kind of being like, like things that were very obvious things that were being sold as ghosty, like nonsense. Yeah. 
um, we were like, this woman, Larissa, we don't name her by name because I don't think we, re- we don't highlight her name. But we're like, there is this young woman in this segment that is unusually and authentically freaked out by what's happening. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of puzzled because it's like, what's going on here? Well, since we recorded that episode nearly three years ago, this woman, Larissa, has written an article about her time on Real Scary Stories. And Rob will link to it in the show notes. Um, I will, I, at some point, maybe for Monstober, we'll have her on because Rob knows I'm always chomping at the bit to talk about real scary stories. Because um, nobody thinks about this show. No one has thought about this show more <laughs> in the last 20 years than I have. Um, and this show will always be this weird sort of just like anomaly when it comes to just myself. Yes. But in this article, she discusses how like the like the overall thesis of the article is a lot of it was staged, but at the same time, a lot of unexplainable things also happened. Okay. And I'm just like, God damn it! Once again, the real scary stories mystery just persists. Like all I want is like one of these goddamn YouTube channels that has like 3 million like subscribers and just explain this to me. And yet 20 years later, real scary stories is just of a inexplicable mystery. And I get that's redundant <laughs> as it was in 2001. Sure. And keep in mind, technically real scary stories is a back end part of the fort year. Cause that came at debut ah. and aired exclusively in 2001. Okay. Okay. So if there ever was a reason to revisit this, come on, Stober, this is my backdoor way into it. That's fair. That's fair. Because there is at least – I know Paolo, who has a different name now via Facebook. His name is Sissy. I don't know what's going on there to each of their own. He, they found a bunch of other – I found one more episode of the show in English on YouTube that's been around for like 10 plus years. The weird thing is that it's been sandwiched in, in amongst other like Fox Family ABC programming. Oh, okay. That's why it never blipped on my radar. Sure. But the real scary stories mysteries, man, like that still persists. And that's the thing, Rob. Like I think that's the thing I kind of just want from you is like on the scale of paranormal documentaries – you have what? You have unsolved mysteries, mm-hmm. real scary stories, America's haunted houses. Like, where would you like even place these like on a scale? Like, mm. like, like, where would you even do it? Like, you have America's haunted houses, which we've both agreed is very academic. Yes. You have unsolved mysteries, which is very tongue in cheek about all this. Yeah. Then you have real scary stories, which is just what. Blair Witch esque. Yeah, I was about to say uh, that's the the most realistic. Like it's a reality type of 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 setup. Yeah, it's reality or even what, what faux reality. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Blair Witch found footage maybe is a good way to put it. Absolutely. Um, handheld camera, that type of thing. Sure. Um, but that's the thing I just want to bring up because like there is that <clears throat> element of just like like, the, like three years later. The mystery of real scary stories is just as <laughs> yes. confounding as it, as it was three years ago. And as it was 20 years ago, yeah. there is no new information on that show. And I find it, again, not to reiterate the points from that episode, but we're 20 years removed from that. And 
there's there's no nostalgia for that mm-hmm. and i find that considering that once even though like we're a little bit far removed from nostalgia but you would just think 20 years later someone involved with that show would be nostalgic sure yeah no i i know what you're saying and considering that between like my youtube channel and cinematis and how that is the sole bane of that show's existence you would think somebody would have nostalgia 20 years later for it. Yeah. And yeah. want to be like, oh, yeah, like I did this thing. Like here it is. Sure. No. Nope. Nope. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Nope. I think, uh, I, th- I think Zach's also salty that, you know, we get more people contacting us saying, how did you watch Hot Tomorrows than we have? How did you watch Real <laughs> Scary Stories? <laughs> I, I, I just don't get it. Like it, it's those videos have been up on YouTube now for, oh, like I uploaded my initial round on, of uh, real scary story episodes in June of 2011. So you're talking 10 years now. Yep. And I am no closer to explaining any of this than I was then. <laughs> well, I'm just like, how, how I'm like, you have like, like, like Rob can tell you, you have these like feature length documentaries on all this nonsense that happens in the world. And yet, this is still, pardon the pun, an unsolved mystery. Yeah, yeah. This episode has everything. We're even throwing now. We're throwing in a spooky mystery. Absolutely. Exactly. Once again, when Zach is in the old folks' home, they're like, "Why is Grandpa yelling about real scary stories?" <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa, are you okay? Uh, Ghost cat. <laughs> <laughs> like somebody has like a pet cat that like roams around like a nursing like nursing home grounds, and I start screaming like, "Think of like Mermaid Man from Mermaid and Barnacle Boy at SpongeBob." Yeah. I'm like, "Ghost cat, ghost cat." <laughs> oh man! All right, Rob, are we ready for questions? Well, um, we have to do our questions for America's Haunted House first. We have to finish up this episode before we can go back to the big episode, right? Yes. The pro- cinematis proper. Okay. So w- were there I, – I think I'm ready. Did you have any other scenes or any of the um, set pieces or places they visit in America's Haunted Houses that you wanted to to chat about? I think what? We, we, we did Ghost Cat, but there's some other DC stuff, and then I think you already mentioned the Lodge Resort at the end. I don't – were there any others? Uh, not really. I think okay. we highlight. I think the only thing I just really like to highlight is just like I love it. The I, we kind of touched upon this already, which is the fact that the documentary ends with like a woman hitchhiking. Yes, they pick her up and then she's still hitchhiking. It's like what? <laughs> sure. I, I I get what they're like when it comes to the vibe. I get it. But when considering it, you're probably making a documentary that costs in the ballpark of at least a hundred thousand dollars to make. Yeah, just like on a budgetary level, it's like. Did, did you really need that? It's like, it, could, could nobody think of anything more clever? It's just like, just show some, just shoot some more people double exposed. Like, give yeah. us Ghost Cat. Yeah. yeah. Give us Ghost Cat. We're tired of these ghost bitches. Give us Ghost Cat. <laughs> I kind of want to, like, upload Ghost Cat to YouTube. And just like, because like there is a part where like we have like what like the front of the White House and there's like this like picture of like a super like, yes, close up yes. of like a, a, like a black cat's face. It's a it's the it's the superimposed like the cat's face just you know coming in over the White House and it's just like ghost cat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's played so just like it is yeah. It, it, it's so spooky, though. Spooky. It's, like, I, I, it's played straight academically. You know, it's like you're seeing, like, um, I, the way that I thought of that while I'm watching it, because I'm in this kind of, you know, technical mindset that they put me in. Like I said, the climate of what they've created for me as the viewer. 
I it doesn't come across to me as goofy or funny until now when we're making fun of Ghost Cat or no we're loving Ghost Cat and using him for comedy, but it comes across to me as I'm watching it as I'm like yeah I could see like an out of touch kind of you know a, a history teacher who barely knows how to use PowerPoint doing something like this and using it to like the effect of oh this will this will make the point hit home harder that type of thing <laughs> yeah I feel I think you've like framed it perfectly it's someone who doesn't understand what they're doing. Just grasping at straws, being like, yeah, ghost cat. It, it might be the 1998 version of, like, a, an out-of-touch teacher using a meme in the lecture slides. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine being the producer, like, the executive whose job was to, like, screen this? <laughs> just, I think that's, I gotta, the, that's the next mystery. It turns out we, we find out who it was and it was us in a different life. Or, you know, it's one of our turnstile moments. Yeah. Is that what it is? Okay, yeah. ghost cat. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, all right. Uh, Cinemati late night status for uh, America's Haunted Houses, a.k.a. Ghost Cat. Yes. Um, I, I I think when it comes to like, like Cinemati status, I'm going to give it a yes because to find something of this nature sold as academic is so rare. Mm-hmm. Considering that like I live in this world and I can't think of another example like it, I think that makes it a Cinemati. Um, as for late night status – I have two words. Would you like to say them, Rob? Uh, ghost cat. <laughs> ghost cat. <laughs> so I'm I'm actually in complete agreement with you on on cinematity status. Like when when I was watching this, I think it didn't really click for me because, like you mentioned at the start of this um this sub episode, that you know you wanted me to uh, grab this from Amazon, and I watched it you know when I was recording it, and I was. I kind of, you know, maybe didn't watch it intentively, and I was just like, oh, this is another one of those things that Zach likes, you know? Watching it for knowing we were going to do a discussion on it and things, it really enthralled me in that sense of technicality and, and you know, academic sense. And and so, yeah, I, I've, you would be the, the person, you know, to know better. Like you just said, you've never seen anything like this. I haven't seen as much, but this stands out to me as so unique in the way that they portray the paranormal investigators. So, yeah, it's a cinemodity. Um, and I, I think, you know, you, you just yeah, – whatever answer I had previously, you just, you just corrected my answer. Late night, ghost cat, of course. <laughs> ghost cat. That, that is the answer to this, ghost cat. And I think um, that even I, leads us directly into our snacks. we got to have a ghost cat in the restaurant, right? <laughs> oh, oh, 100%. <laughs> the question, though, is does the ghost cat, like, expand to, like, 10 feet by 10 feet? <laughs> I, I could only hope. <laughs> <laughs> is the ghost cat gonna give somebody a heart attack hell yeah <laughs> i like to imagine or to like, like accomplish this we have to like get like a, like a black cat from like like the aspca and like put it under like radiation for like a couple of days so like it expands to like gargantuan level and like it, it's kind of the equivalent of like when we wash our utensils and we go through like the car wash mm. um like the car wash owner like kind of asked like what are you guys doing and it's like we're washing our dishes. Like every couple of weeks, we got hit up like the animal shelter, and we're like, "This is like the third cat you've gone through like in a month," and we're just like, "Ghost cat, ghost cat." <laughs> <laughs> so just just about about the ghost cat and the ten ten feet by ten feet thing. This this is the sentence on Wikipedia: the cat is described as a fully black and as fully black and the size of an average house cat. Semicolon. But witnesses report that the cat <laughs> swells to, quote, the size of a giant tiger, end quote, 10 feet by 10 feet when alerted. There are three citations in that one sentence. 
<laughs> Beautiful. Can we please use? Please note that the word "swell" is used. Yes, yes. Well, the cat swells to the size of a giant tiger, ten feet by ten feet. When I first read this, my immediate thought was, I don't think tigers are like square. Like ten. <laughs> like what? Where are the two ten feet coming from? Like ten feet long, maybe ten feet tall as well. That's a weird looking animal. <laughs> Rob, ghost cat. Uh, follow up sentence. The cat would then either explode or pounce at the witness, disappearing before it managed to catch its, in quotes, victim. Citation again. <laughs> Seriously, everybody, I'm gonna, this is another link I'm going to put in the show notes. The fucking demon cat page of Wikipedia is a masterpiece of the internet. <laughs> And that picture, Rob, like that picture is just like, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Good. It's so good. I Now I'm tempted to, even though I've already made the episode logo for the others, I'm tempted to scrap that one and just put this in our VHS cover. <laughs> <laughs> it's just awkwardly like formatted to fit into like a VHS like like label spot. Last Last bit of the article, the in popular culture section. Founded in 2006, the D.C. Demon Cats are one of Washington, D.C.'s four roller derby home teams. <laughs> I, when I clicked on that, like, section, I was kind of expecting, like, a reference to, like, the documentary. Yeah. And it's like, no. I, I, I got more than what I ever bargained to. Oh, God. It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of amazing. It's, and, and just, just to – we could talk about the ghost cat forever. But I love that you mentioned also earlier that, you know, the, in the history section – which has another fucking a different. These are all different citations. It's not like the Wikipedia is based off one ghost cat article. There's fucking so many references. It's insane. But the last sentence of the history says the last official sighting of the alleged ghost was during the final <laughs> days or aftermath of World War II in the 1940s. Two paragraphs earlier, it says it was allegedly spotted before the assassination of JFK, which was in 1963. <laughs> the article is such it's a fucking wonder, wonderful masterpiece of art, Zach. <laughs> Someone needs to publish. It's goddamn. The Demon Cat Wikipedia article is better than Turn of the Screw. I'm saying it. <laughs> what you're trying to say, though, Rob, speaking of turning of things, that maybe Ghost Cat invented the turn style. Oh, God. We could only hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe what the ghost cat is guarding is the turnstiles under the U.S. Capitol. Ooh, I like that. That's where a turnstile would be, I'm sure. Yeah. Exactly. In the ghost nuclear cat. bunker? Yeah, 100%, 100%. Exactly. Ghost cat. So that was our ghost cat for the restaurant. Um, the only other snack I had related to um, America's Haunted Houses, and I'm saying that to make sure we all remember what episode we're in, and for me when I edit this, um, we, we find a way to suck the electromagnetic aura from people that one of the mediums talks about. And serve it as, like, a, a drink I figured it would be closest to. So we'd have to kind of, like, distill somebody's electromagnetic aura into a beverage. You know what I mean? I would like to take that even one step, like, like unrefined and make it more industrial. Okay. I guess we should power the restaurant. Like, almost like, mat- like Matrix-esque almost. Ah, okay, okay. Now, that's interesting. Where we're using the, uh, the people's auras to power the restaurant. Exactly. Like, yeah. that's the clientele. Like, you have a bad, like, electro, like, magnetic aura. Like, the, like the light bulb, like, at your table doesn't, like, like shine as bright. Okay, okay. That sounds like um, uh, you've given someone the idea out there for a new Black Mirror episode. <laughs> 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 did you have any snacks for – I know this is kind of also impromptu, this episode within an episode. But did you have any snacks from America's Haunted Houses? Uh, I don't know. Like, I just lo- – like, I, I – I just cannot put enough emphasis 
on like the resort and like the paranormal people walking through it with like the babbling brook. Ah, uh, okay. Can we have? Can we have a? Do we have a babbling brook in the Cinemonies restaurant? I don't think so, but I like what you're getting at. Some type of you know like um, an outdoors exhibit inside the restaurant, like um, like a like a koi pond, but you're talking more grand, like the whole you know little waterfall, the little creek, yes. the, the the flora. The maybe some fauna, the the ghost cat, of course. Uh, ghost cat. <laughs> but okay, I like that. You know, some type of um little. I don't know. That, that's kind of maybe for this weird discussion we're having. It, it kind of fits that we have a little nice portion of the restaurant. Like it looks a little cool. You know, <laughs> looks and a little ha- endearing. Have we? Okay, this is the lowest of the low hanging fruit when it comes to the Cinemati's restaurant. And you could even say this is almost like a subconscious like in, like inspiration for the Cinemati's restaurant. We have to have some, like, genetic DNA with Sarah Winchester, right, when it comes to the restaurant? Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Somehow that, that idea has crept into us as well in the creation of this uh, this wonderful establishment. I don't know what else I have could, could have called it. <laughs> could we say that at some point, like, we do seance monodies, and maybe this is how we transition back to the others. We do a seance monodies and we get Sarah Winchester, and we use her as like a consultant, as an architect. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's really cool. You know, when when we go through our seance, we we contact Sarah Winchester. She realizes that she's being contacted in a seance or through a medium. She gets angry because everybody only wants to know about why she was so crazy and why'd she build that house. And we're like, no, 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 Sarah, Sarah, we want to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> you use a consultant. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I think about it. Like, if there ever was anything that was like a spiritual successor to the Winchester Mansion, it's the Cinemati's restaurant. That's a good point. That's a that's a really what, good point. What, which is a hundred percent factual. Yes, of course. It's it's in it, Times Square and it's totally real. That's all you need to know. Yes, where the former Mars Twenty One Twelve was. Yes. <laughs> okay, and I dig protect- that. I dig that. And it's protected by Ghost Cat. Or Ghost Cat. Cat. Ghost Cat. Um, so I think, you know, um, the only way to end this episode is to play the, uh, this very short America's Haunted Houses theme song in reverse. And I think it's good because it's so short, uh, because after you hear that, you will be back right into the others. How does that sound? I think that is a hundred percent doable, Rob. Okay. weird what did we do for the last hour do you remember i don't remember anything that just happened no. for some reason i'm just getting this deja vu of ghost cat <laughs> Ghost cat. so i don't even know where we left off with the others i think the 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 you we both absolutely loved it it was a great movie um <laughs> no All i know is that nicole kidman had a gun and was chasing a cat uh oh yes yes ghost cat of course had to be about ghost cat um, so was there anything else that you wanted to say about uh, the others or anything, any of these ghost stories? I don't think I had anything else about the turn of the screw. There were some other comparisons, but like I said, I was wrong when I thought this was an adaptation of the turn of the screw. But uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretentious. I think that is the best way to describe this film. Sure. And yeah, that's that's probably also a good way. Like maybe this is a good transition into our, our questions, like we said earlier. Um, if If you are on Team Rob... This is your kind of pretentious. If you're on Team Zach, probably avoid this at all costs. But I guess that'll take me to, of course, you know, for late night, 
oh, I'm all about late night for this movie. And this is a Ludovico technique type of movie. I want these people staring at every single frame of Nicole Kidman losing her mind. I'm going a hardcore yes to late night for this movie. Ah, Cinemodities, though, for the others, it's a great movie. I really do enjoy it, but it's, it's a no. There's nothing really odd about it. It's, um, it's very slow, methodical, atmospheric, right up my alley, but it's not really out there in any sense. So I'm going no to Cinemodities, yes to late night. What do you think? Um, I'm going to say no to Cinemati, but with the caveat asterisk of like, how on earth was this successful for mass <laughs> yeah, audiences? That's a good point. <laughs> like, like I, I wish I could explain that. I, I, I literally have no idea how this film had like a five to like six times multiplier from its opening weekend. Um, as for late night movie, I think I've said it numerous times that like Cinemati is a classification and late night is a recommendation. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I know like not to tip our hand too far into what next week's discussion will be, but I kind of wish this was a discussion that LaShawn was involved with after everything mm. we learned from next week's episode about him. I wish he could have experienced the others in ghost cat with us. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty sure that's two weeks from now, but the turnstiles will always cause us issues. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good, that's a good point. Yeah. We'll have to. Next time we talk to him, we'll have to pick his brain about this one since it was so divisive, and he seems to be our tiebreaker on divisive horror. <laughs> yes, and Ghost Cat, and go, well, Ghost Ghost Cat. I mean, Ghost Cat. Um, not that I know what that is. I don't. That's just it's just something that exists in our brains. We don't really know why. Uh, but <laughs> so for he, Ghost, it's kind of like, it's Titanic now. It's like Ghost Cat only lives in my memories now. <laughs> yes. Oh, so for the restaurant, for the others, I had I had a few things. Uh, one, it, it starts off as a question. I actually, oh damn, I didn't actually dig into this because I wanted to. Have we ever talked about in the restaurant? Do we have a cemetery, or are we like reusing the dead bodies for some type of energy? I couldn't remember. I feel like we might have a cemetery. Do you remember at all? I don't know if we have like a graveyard. That's interesting. I would imagine that like we would we would like. Again, like Infinite Void, we would see a graveyard as like a waste of space. Yeah, that's that's how I would uh, I would agree with that as well. I'm doing I'm doing a quick search in the spreadsheet. I, a cemetery turned up nothing. I just searched grave, and it highlighted something that, as far as I can tell, does not have the word grave in it. <laughs> type in dead. Say, I type in the word dead. <laughs> We're gonna get a lot of that, I think. <laughs> um. Oh, it found the episode title "Dead Alive." <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, okay, yeah. Let's just let's just. I once again, I, whenever I do this, I hope that our audience likes this because I enjoy doing. Oh my god! It highlighted the fucking longest snack section, the Disney sing-alongs, Disneyland fun. <laughs> I cannot read all that. That is too Danielle. fucking long. <laughs> Danielle. Danielle. God damn it, Danielle. Oh, the introduction of um, seance modities. It found. I feel like a graveyard would be considered a waste of space in the Infinite Void. I, I agree. I, I, I feel that, you know... We're very oh, practical here we go. From, from the Dread episode. Oh. The restaurant recycles its dead bodies in some way, possibly for resources or food, in a perpetual stew. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from, from Dread? I don't I know, like... but also the Dread snack section is surprisingly long. I don't remember that either. <laughs> That long ago. That was like what six months ago. Yeah, that was the beginning of this year. So it found the mummy episode. I'm sure we talked about dead somewhere in there. Uh, but that death, is, d- death, ironically or unironically, is a major theme to 2001. Yeah, looks direct. Yeah. Looks directly into the camera. Oh wow! From way back when, searching dead found deadite Orson Welles from Jodorowsky's oh, Dune. <laughs> of course, of course. 
Oh, man. Okay. Uh, we mentioned Orson Welles' Deadite again in the Lost Soul episode. Look at that. <laughs> I know Deadite Orson Welles shows up quite often. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So so Dead shows up. But, yeah, I think the, the Dread snack is the precedent. And you're absolutely right in the topic of we, we don't need to waste space in our infinite void with a cemetery. We're using these bodies as a resource in some way. So perfect. Okay. That was – I'm glad we ironed that out. I uh, hope the audience is – Oh God, this is a fucking crazy episode. Um, uh, for for maybe a, a more true snack, near the beginning of the movie when the kids are eating breakfast and um, uh, you know Mrs. Mills has made it for them, the little girl says something like, this toast, I don't like this toast, it tastes funny. And she says, well, of course it tastes different because, you know, somebody else made it last time. What do you think about if anybody, it's not just, I'm not just saying toast because I think we have toast already in the restaurant. When anybody orders toast, whether it be, you know, whatever dish it's a part of, it's always made by someone new each time. Like, we never have the same person make toast twice. What do you think? That's interesting. So it's, it's, it's like it's, – it's so is it different bread? Is it cut differently? Is it buttered differently? Is it I, toasted differently? I think completely up to the person who's making it. But it's like let's say you know, we, got, um, we got somebody working in the restaurant. And they're the chef. And you know, they, they might be one of our main chefs. And they have to make toast for somebody. And then – 20 minutes later, somebody else orders this with toast. That chef does not get to make that toast. It goes off to a different employee of the restaurant, and they have total control over how they make that toast. Mm, I like that. There's a level of inconsistency there that's just insane. It's just toast. Yeah. And, we keep, and we deliberately keep it vague so it could be anything, and we're like protected by it. I just want, that's going to be something I clip and save for, for no real reason to use just to have it. You're just saying, it's just toast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was thinking like that'd be an interesting gimmick and you know, even you know, not just for our restaurant, but could you imagine if you went to a restaurant and be like a small diner and be like, Well what's what are they famous for? They never let the same person make toast twice. <laughs> but may, may I ask for a very specific name for the toast? Okay. Uh, yeah, because I didn't have one. Ghost toast. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say toast cat. <laughs> <laughs> I like ghost toast though. That's pretty that's pretty good. Ghost toast. Toast cat. Toast. Toast cat. Maybe once you order toast in some way, you know, and you know or we know as the, the uh, owners of the restaurant, the staff knows you're never going to get that toast again. It becomes ghost toast. Ooh. I like that. I like that. That might be like our selling point. Like if we – in our social media outreach, you know, when we're promoting the restaurant, we say like now including ghost toast. Toast will never be the same, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> I like it. I can't bore with that. The only other one I had uh, from this movie was um, the – um, the, the migraine medicine, I guess, that, you know, Nicole Kidman decides not to take near the end of the movie. Um, I just wrote down, in relation to that, unmarked spooky ghost tablets. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's like, I know we have vitamins in the restaurant. We, have, we definitely have some form of things in pills, whether they be something put into a pill, a vitamin in the shape of a pill. I just want to throw onto that where it's called um, unmarked spooky ghost tablets. And somebody would be like, what is that? And be like, we don't know, they're unmarked. <laughs> And that makes them spooky. Great. And ghost just seems to be the theme of this episode, so throw it that is. in there as well. <laughs> what did you have for the restaurant, Zach? I like to imagine like, like we should rename this movie just Ghostly. Like everything should just be like with the preface of just ghosts. <laughs> ghost Lady. That's ghost what's not called the others. It's called Ghost Lady. Yep, yep, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, this would yeah. fit into a a certain pantheon. You know what? Um, ghost Ship. That movie. Uh, there's got to be so many things that are ghost blank. Yes, exactly. 
<laughs> um, like as that. for the restaurant, the only thing that I would say is that like there's not a lot of food in this movie other than like the toast. There's like what like oatmeal at one point, I think even. Yeah, I think we see like a little bit of like some meat with carrots in one of the dinner scenes. Very basic sure. though. You know what I would like? Kind of, this is really out there, but just kind of came to me. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, like on the um, oh god, what's it, what's it called? The um, not Pepperidge Farm. Uh, the Quaker Oats box. The Quaker Oats man. Oh yeah, sure. I want like like. Oh, God. Like, imagine a walk-around character of him, but, like, as a ghost. Okay, okay. So you're saying something like the uh, the Oats ghost? <laughs> I, yes, but, like, I, I, but on the same level as, like, uh, Deadeye Orson Welles. I want Deadeye Quaker ah, Oats Man. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I can get behind that. Would would they do anything in particular? Like, would they get mad at people for eating oats or mad if people don't order oats uh, or something like that? I, I would imagine something more toward the latter of that. Like, kind okay. of like they're disappointed when you don't order, like, order that because the genesis for this idea was I was just going through Instagram today and someone had this really weird, like, I don't know if it was, like, a recycled TikTok or just, like, something. Mm-hmm. And someone's, like, dressed up as, like, as the Quaker Oats man. It was, like, horrifying. <laughs> and I'm, like, and I know that's, like, a Rugrats gag. I think that was, like, what, a thing with Chucky. He was afraid of the guy on the Quaker, like, on the oatmeal box. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> don't worry, Chucky. Uh, we just got to find something you're really scared of. And when Puppy sees you being brave, then she'll be brave, too. That's a great idea, Tommy. Uh, when you say something, I gotta be really scared of. Okay, puppy. I know the man on the oatmeal box is kind of scary, but all you have to remember is it's just a box of oatmeal with a guy who looks kind of mad. It has a big, big hat and lots of really scary hair. Look, puppy, it's just oatmeal inside. There's nothing as scary about oatmeal. But I feel like the Quaker Oats guy is like prime fodder for just like nightmare fuel when it comes to like food. Okay, okay, I like that. Dead-eyed Quaker Oats man. Um, <laughs> and then, Oats and then, man. <laughs> and then beyond that, I think uh, the template for seance modities should be the seance from this. Okay, in the in the sense that you know we have that like that the, the setup in terms of the table and the people. Is that what you mean? Exactly. And then, like, at some point, like, part of your seance modities, um, someone just, like, like tears up some papers and, like, rattles the table. Ah, uh, okay. I like that. <laughs> but what it is, it's Zach, it's one of the Zach or Rob waiters, like, just, like, covered in, like, saran wrap. <laughs> just violently grabbing the table and, yes. and shaking it and knocking over if you might have food or something on it. <laughs> exactly. And that's, yes, that is the template for seance modities. Okay, I can get behind that. No, this is good. I'm glad that we've uh, we've added some some ideas more now to seance modities. Of course, it happens every week on Sunday in the restaurant. I'm pretty sure that's how we established. But uh, now, now we're fleshing out a little bit more, even though it's been going on for months. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Okay, okay. Anything else about uh, the others or about the fort year that we're getting so close to the end? Oh, God. Like, I, I, okay, I, can I do a peek behind the curtain? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess. If it's about Ghost Cat, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it is about Ghost Cat. Um, considering that we record the stuff out of, like, order, like, when it's released, um, it's kind of delightful that the true end of the fourth year is with the others episodes. We recorded everything else, like, disjointed. Yes. I love <laughs> that Ghost Cat is the definitive end of the fourth year. It, it kind of is, you know, uh, yeah, Zach's right. In all seriousness, we have been doing some things out of order just because of scheduling purposes and stuff like that. And, uh... This will not be the last episode you hear of the Fort Year. It's the last one we're recording. It also is coming at the end of a week of marathon recording, which I think made it 
perfect for us because we were loopy as hell and Ghost Cat just filled in whatever hole we were missing <laughs> from, you know, the nonsense that we've been putting ourselves through. Like, I watched so many goddamn movies this week, I needed Ghost Cat to help me out. <laughs> it's the ultimate, I, maybe in a way, America's Haunted Houses is a nice palate cleanser. That I like that. I like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. For us, though, of course, for the audience... Tune in next week for the penultimate episode in the 2014 year where Zach and I will be discussing, just Zach and I, LaShawn will be two weeks from now, American Pie and American Pie 2. What a follow-up to the others, right? <laughs> it, it, truly a jarring, whiplash-inducing series. Yes, yes. And now, now I'm also kind of bummed that, you know, we're going to have to go at least three weeks till we can talk about Ghost Cat again because there's so many things recorded before the instantiation of Ghost Cat. So maybe for the audience, just imagine ghost cat is our guest on all the other episodes <laughs> he's in the, he's in the background just chilling yes <laughs> i feel like ghost cat's gonna show up very much during monstover i feel like he's gonna be one of these things now that's just gonna just appear I, I, I just randomly show up um, i'm trying to think what was the last time we had like a genuine hallmark in cinemodies like we're like we just like latched on to a concept and we just didn't let go of it for like a while god it's been a it's been a it's been a good bit you know i think it's uh, the fort year has gotten us into such a weird mood that it's um you know geez probably the when we were doing the disney channel dancing movies and stuff we had the dancing we had the the teenage, yeah the dancing that's dancing. Think of, the dancing <laughs> I don't know. Well, now we got Ghost Cat. We hope you everybody like right into us. That's I think that's exactly. If you want to tell G- us about Ghost Cat, cinemonies at gmail.com. If you live in the Washington D.C. area, if you can get Ghost Cat, like we'll pay a price. Like we need him for the restaurant. Like, yes. like, like we'll treat him well. We just want to talk to him. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Yeah, so next week, American Pie and American Pie Two. This week, Ghost Cat. <laughs> right into us at cinemonies at gmail.com. Go. As always, go on over and join the Cinemodities Patreon, patreon.com slash cinemodities for even more discussions, which will eventually get Ghost Cat in there as well. I will have to explain that to Ben, and it will make no sense to him, uh, and to support the podcast. And check out the Cinemodities subreddit where I'm probably going to, out of context, post the Demon Cat Wikipedia page, and maybe one of the eight people that are on there will see it. Other than that, ghost Zach, cat. any I, – I, I think that's it. Final thoughts, Ghost Cat, right? Ghost, ghost cat, cat. Ghost Cat. Ghost Cat. Ghost Cat. <laughs> my epitaph one day. Ghost Cat. Ghost Cat epitaph? Ghost Cat epitaph? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ghost Cat. Hey, kids. At the end of this episode, Zach and I were so enamored with the idea of Ghost Cat that we forgot to do one of the most important things at the end of our episodes. But I mean, can you blame us? It's a ghost. That's a cat. The cat's a ghost. Like, like, I, I, is there something you're missing? I don't know. You haven't even listened to the episode yet. I don't know why I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with myself right now. But maybe, you know, after we stopped recording, 15, 20 minutes later, when we were about to sign off from each other, I went, oh, fuck, we didn't do the music. And Zach said, what? And I said, the music, the how to end the episode stuff. And he was like, ah! And instead of recording anything right then and there, because we were so burnt out at the, the end of a long week of recording to make this, this, this fun podcast, uh, I decided I would just put this correction in and say what I would have said if we have actually have covered that material in the podcast that we are going to play none other than the song Centipede by Wilson in reverse. 
Just a simple 